And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. Welcome to another episode of This Old Dungeon. And I want to, before we get going, draw your attention to the after credit feature. Yes, we're trying something new. Been doing a lot of those one-shots where we get to talk to some of these awesome creators out there in the in the publishing world. And uh, we've decided maybe we can kind of combine that so that we're not doing so many of those and, 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 and not, you know, our regular episodes. So what we've got is we've got like a little snippet, a little 15-minute uh, deal. Today we're going to be talking with Stefan Surratt about his Technomancer of Candy Mountain. So I, I've already backed it. It's an MCC product. There's a uh, one of his, uh, the, the Multiverse series. Uh, this one's called The Marvels of the Multiverse. Uh, and we're going to talk all about that after the credits of this show. So if you want to hear about that, hang on for that. Uh, is is Kickstarter's only got a little bit of time left on it, so it's really important if you want to see what you you might be missing out on that you do that. But otherwise, we've got a normal episode. So I've already introduced myself. Here with me to start things, I've got my buddy. Hello, this is Edwin here. I'm excited to be here to have a normal episode, whatever that means. <laughs> And uh, we're going to have Bill joining us in a bit as normal. He's uh, in and out as you. Uh, yeah, don't tell Bill, but life. in an effort to cut our episodes down by about a half hour, we've invited him in at the end of the episode. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, he just, he's got some stuff going on. He'll be joining us. Um, so Edwin, how you been? I've been well. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. Uh, you know, I th we're both in the education profession, and uh, oftentimes I've not taken the summers off. I've done other jobs. This summer, I've got one job on the horizon, but other than that, I'm I'm doing my publishing stuff. I'm enjoying my kids, building tree That's houses. Awesome. It's been fun. I saw yeah, I saw that picture of your tree house. That looks amazing. <laughs> like multi-story. <laughs> Yeah, in, in person it's a little scary, but it's it's stable. I've I've sworn to the kids they can they can jump in there and it won't fall out. But it's it's. Uh... I think every treehouse should be a little scary. I think that's an important <laughs> part of. Uh, they make house. a lot of noise. I I never knew that. Like uh, you know, it sounds like those old wooden ships. You know, everything's creaking all the time as the wind's blowing and whatnot. It's I built cool. a uh, like just a floating roof over our wood pile, and so there's four mm -hmm. trees that happen to be forming basically a square. And I, you know, so I put some beams across it and put a roof over those. And you know, these are probably 60 foot tall trees. And when the wind blows, they don't like, you can't see the move, but you can sure hear the creaking of that framing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So uh, gaming, uh, I know you've been gaming. So why don't you start in? Sure. So, yeah, I think, uh, well, we're, Back from North Texas, yeah. and I had some phenomenal gaming at North Texas. As always, um, I got to be involved in some play tests, and I had some nice game design conversations around those play tests, including one that we actually just wrapped up this past week, which was pretty fun talking about sort of some of the mechanics that were in. So as a guy who's producing a game, and his friend ran the game for as a play test at North Texas. And so it was a GM running somebody else's, you know, brainchild. And so we'd had some discussions at North Texas and then um, the three of us got on the phone together to talk about some of the design pieces. And that was, that was a lot of fun to sort of dig in there a little bit. It was sort of a, you know, it's a fantasy game, swords and sorcery, swords and sandals, whatever you want to call it with some DCC elements using a die chain um, and then some other, system yeah yeah so we we're really talking about the system not about the adventure 
So this is a, a system um, that, that you're so talking that was about? Kind of, yeah, that was kind of neat, oh, wow. sort of thinking about the... So this was the, the system had, uh, you know, sort of bonus and penalty dice uh, or advantage, disadvantage, however, you know, whatever. But And then also had a die chain where you could, you know, go from a D8 to a D10 to a D12, and you're basically trying to hit a four. And so if you're rolling a D4 and... Uh, uh, so it's just fun to think about from the player's perspective and then also you know for what the feel of the game is depending on the dice mechanics and then also what the mechanics actually do you know from a how likely you are to succeed and how likely you want to be to succeed and how does that feel as a player how does it feel as a gm how easy is it to keep track of because one of the other mechanics that he uses uh, in the game a lot is the um i think this is a black hack mechanic maybe elsewhere also but the the um Basic players rolled a the control die, uh, a die to see if you've oh, run out of food I, I, or whatever. So a resource die where, oh, okay. you know, so if you have arrows with a D8, then every time something bad happens, you roll your D8. And if it comes up a one, now you have arrows with a D6. And if that comes up a one, now you have arrows with a D4. And if that comes up a one, you're out of arrows. Yeah. I'm trying to think, um, one of Free League's games uh, is known for that kind of thing. I can't remember what it's called, though. I want to say it's like Forbidden Kingdom, but that's not it. For but yeah, I, I've I've heard of a mechanic like that. It's it's brilliant. So yeah, so and one one of the things that was really cool in that record. game is he actually used it in a uh, hey Bill. Hey, there guys. was uh, there was some monsters that were behind a a fence, and we didn't know what they were, but we did know at the beginning of the encounter that it was a D six control die on that that fence, and so we're watching that sort of click down randomly. And we knew that when he rolls a one on the D4, those monsters, whatever they are, are going to come barreling <laughs> out of the through. fence. And that was a really suspenseful, fun mechanic, you know, to be able to. And I'd never seen that, you know, running out of arrows, whatever that's, you know, or food or, you know, that's story interesting. But knowing that something's going to erupt, but you don't know when that was that was a neat flavor adding a piece of that mechanic we're just talking about gaming bill and we're thinking that you might have done some because (laughs) you went to north texas yes (laughs) so this this was a month i got some gaming in for sure um you guys hearing me okay sorry i don't absolutely okay uh yeah got got lots of gaming in with north texas um i got to dm a bunch running the dd tournament uh that was exciting uh, a lot of character deaths, <laughs> uh, so that was really cool. Ran Starfleet battles, that go? so that was a throwback. I haven't played since the early '90s. Uh, played BattleTech on our usual Friday night game. And that oh, was a yeah. blast as usual. It was uh, the guys went all out putting that together. It was uh, a huge event. Yeah, it was really cool. So how did the, how did Starfleet battles uh, go? Uh, I was very rusty. I'll <laughs> tell you that. Um, I didn't actually play. I just kind of moderated. So. Uh, the first thing I did was run a um, uh, a primer for an hour. So we had a bunch of people come into the uh, the auditorium there at the convention center. And I probably had 20 or 30 people in there at any given time. So I spent about an hour just going over the basics of, you know, what, what is Starfleet Battles? How do you play it? What are the basic rules? This is what a ship uh, SSD is called looks like. And this is what the energy allocation form looks like. Um, and I, all the you know, role players out there, their eyes are glazing over because it's a tactical <laughs> war game, pure and simple. It's it's not Star Trek. If if you want to play Star Trek, this is not that. Uh, this is a a tactical war game um, that takes hours in general to play. 
uh, a short game of Starfleet Battles is two or three hours. That's a really short game. Uh, so, uh, but we did that in about an hour and it was great. Uh, and then we went up and had a, uh, just a demolition derby. We used frigates, which are small ships basically for SFB. Um, they don't do a ton of damage, but they can't take a ton of damage, but it's fun because in a, in a, in a convention space, you just don't have, again, you're, you're limited with time with a lot of players. So that lets you move things along real quick, quickly. And I eliminated a bunch of rules that, you know, could people generally play with some of them are optional, some of them aren't, but just to speed things along. Um, and it, it went really well. We had a bunch of people who've never played before. I was going to ask that, whether it was people wanting to recapture, you know, their past or whether it was people wanting to experience something they've never done. Yeah, we had a little bit of both. And we had a couple of veteran players in there who play all the time still. Um, and, you know, the, a couple of them are great at helping the new guys out because it's an intimidating game. I don't want to take that away. People will get scared about it because it it's very it's complex. It is a very complex game. Uh, the learning curve is uh, is very steep. It takes a long while to learn and be actually fairly good at the game because it's, it's another thing. It's, a, you know, a throwback is Starfleet Battles is a competitive game. You're out there to destroy the other guy, pure and simple. It's not there's nothing cooperative about it. <laughs> Um, you know, it's a lot of times player against player in its most basic form. Um, you know, it's a, a, I play against you, you know, kind of thing, or you can have teams, which is honestly, that's where the game really shines when you have groups. So did the, uh, did the experienced players do better? Um, so one of them, yeah, he, uh, I, at least I won't throw any names <laughs> out there. I, you know, I actually got a little frustrated at one point cause we had so many new players, um, that the super experienced player was taking advantage of the situation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like one of those situations, like if, if you're teaching kids karate, right, you don't bring in Bruce Lee to spar against them and beat the living crap out of them. It's not going to be much of a learning experience, right? And you can turn people off really quickly, uh -huh. right? Because, again, this is not an easy game. Though. It's not an easy game to learn. It, it takes a while, but it's, it's thoroughly enjoyable to do so in the right environment. Sure. So, you know, we kind of had – one guy that was like that and he got frustrated because I kind of tamped him down a little bit. <laughs> I was trying to get a sense a little bit of uh, whether, you know, how much of the game is how good you are versus how much is random, right? So a game of war with playing cards, it doesn't matter how much you've played, yeah. you know, you're so, going to win or lose yeah. based on the cards. So Starfleet Battles is, I want to say it's it's roughly between the 70 and 80% uh, ability tactics, and yeah. you have to know, yeah. but there is a, there is a, there is a substantial, I would say 20, 30% luck factor in there. You could do everything right, roll terribly, and everything you did right isn't going to matter. It, it, it happened, you know, okay. it's less of a chance of that happening. I mean, the better you play, the better your outcome typically but there's random factors sure. to the game. And that's what keeps it a lot fun, right? Because it does balance that playing field a little bit. You, know, you can be the most experienced guy in the world, but you still have to roll dice at the end of the day. And right. um, it's not as crazy and top heavy as like games like, like War at Sea, which you know we always just call Dice at Sea because <laughs> you could literally come with the best tactic in the world and just roll average and still get your clock clean. You know, it's okay. yeah. That kind of thing. So there's there is a lot of dice rolling in Starfleet battles for like to hit and how much damage you do and that kind of thing. But you know, tactics come into play too. But it was it was great because again, some of the experienced players were, you know, they were they were telling the new guys, no, you don't want to do that. Turn here now or move here and do this. <laughs> but like even if it was going to get themselves, you know, hammered, they were they were really good about. It. That's awesome. Because uh, yeah, it, it it was awesome and uh, it was great to see. Like I said, I haven't been I haven't played in in twenty years, easy twenty years, and. Uh, 
it was really cool to see that. And I know we're talking about a role-playing game convention. This is a tap. <laughs> It, it was neat. I, I was do have neat. one more question, and it's probably just going to benefit me, but using uh, Battletech as the Paragon, is it more or less complicated than that as far as play and tactics? So it's it's similar, but it is much more complicated. Okay. Um, uh, Starfleet Battles can honestly get as complicated as you want it to be. It can go from you know medium level complicated to crazy over the top. And a lot of guys play in like, closer to crazy over the top <laughs> complicated. They love that. Rules crunch and the 600 page rule book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, it's all there. Um, but it's similar in some ways. So Battletech, right. Your, your mech has got, um, armor and it's got internal, you know, boxes. So whenever you take damage, you check off as many boxes as the damage you take. If it's more than your armor can stand in that particular area, it goes into internal, right. And then you start losing systems on your mech. Uh, Starfleet Battles is very is very similar to that, and you know both these games share a lineage. Um, Starfleet came out in '77, I want to say. Starfleet Battles, the first version of it. And I know uh, Battletech came out what late '79, '80, '81. I'm not 100 sure, huh. but Starfleet Battles has another. The other component of it is you have a, what's called the energy allocation form. Mm-hmm. Your ship produces X number of energy every turn. And you have to yeah, you're use every turn you fill out where that energy that goes thing, yeah. to determine what your ship is going to do. So there's yeah, there's that that added complexity to it, um, which is fun. Uh, it really is. It's a great game. I, you know, I, I, I I'm I'm biased. I work with Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I worked at Task Force Games. Did a lot of writing for Starfleet Battle, so I know I'm biased. But it really is a fantastic game. If you can play a you know play a simpler, they have simple versions of it basically also. Um, it's a great tactical game. And the fact that I meant that it's still in print, it's still, they still produce material for it now, 40 yeah. some years later, I believe it's the longest running, uh, tactical board game, uh, in existence. Hmm. Not, not just the oldest game around, but to be continually produced, in print, you know, right, and, right. and essentially by the same manufacturer. <laughs> um, I don't think anything's longer than that. Is that the one that like originally started with some ships from Star Trek, and then there was a whole copyright dispute? And so there's no copyright dispute with. There might have been with FASA with their Star Trek game. Oh, okay. But so Starfleet Battles, um, they they had the fortune of obtaining the license um, to use imagery and um, names. They they didn't ask. They never asked for it. And the names they only cared about were the races and the ships. They could okay. care less about any characters. There's no characters involved in Starfleet Battles whatsoever. Again, it's, it's a tactical war game. So they, the license that they they bought is a perpetual license, so it lasts forever. Um, but it only now it now, looks, now that now that the industry has told us <laughs> that that's what perpetual means because we didn't know that before. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, they uh, w- with that license, uh, that license was also only for the original series and the animated series. So they could use the races and like the Kazini, uh, which are cat warrior people. They didn't exist in the original series, but they existed in the animated, animated series. Yeah. So they're they are a race uh, in the in the game. Uh, but the Gorn, so the, you know the lizard dude, um, that that's part of it. Um, I'm sorry, we got some. Pop but then as, as it moves into next generation, and you get all that. Yeah, stuff, so that, they, they don't have anything hard, to do yeah. with that. But again, they don't they don't have anything to do with. Um, uh, the other intellectual property, like 
Captain Kirk does not exist in Starfleet battles, right? Or or anything like that. So, um, but it's uh, so yeah. I think if Paramount could take that license back, they probably would, because they also <laughs> obtained it when Star Trek didn't. They were doing nothing with the franchise back then. You know, that was before the the motion picture came out. Mm-hmm. The there were no other series in in existence at the time. So. I've seen um, I've seen pictures of the like uh, bicycle helmet with the big yellow spinning light on it that says like Vulcan helmet or Spock's helmet or something on it. Yeah. Back you know with toys when they were making them for it back then. Right. So yeah, and that's kind of the other interesting is um thing is that um the I mean back like so when I was with Task Force and we we did all this I mean most of our studies were the the people who played Starfleet battles were not Star Trek fans by and large. Huh. Um, and we had a real hard time trying to pull those people in because you have Star Trek fans who are the intellectual property fans, right? The cosplayers or the role-playing game, maybe fans, they want nothing to do with the actual Starfleet Battles game. So it's a big dichotomy, which is, it still exists today, honestly, for the most part. But it's a brilliant rule system. And now we spent a lot of time talking about a game that most of our <laughs> RPG fans probably don't care about, but... <laughs> it's what we do <laughs> it's what we do exactly i hear you a lot louder also but i don't know yeah anyway so what what about you lou you've been doing some gaming so yeah north texas kind of same story you guys had got to get involved in a lot of different games uh got to test play what's currently being called horde crawl classics which is a version of bcc where you play as the monsters attacking the village so that was cool. that was something way out of my wheelhouse uh <laughs> but uh at the end of it, it was kind of, again, very similar to your experience. Um, the people that were producing it, um, they were like, well, you know, tell us what you think. And we kind of sat for another, oh, probably 20 minutes just talking about rules and rule variants. And, you know, if you change this, what does that do to that? And that's the kind of stuff I really just love. So I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, got my first con booth experience, which was pretty good. Uh, uh, I had you know an amazing time. I know it doesn't always go that way when you run a booth at a con, but uh, but it went well this time around. So encouraged for the next one. And it's fun uh, to hang out with you at the booth for a while. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of you know I, I was kind of depressed when I was thinking about going down there to do it because I'm just gonna be sitting behind a table, you know. But uh, luckily, <laughs> you know, people come around and they sit and talk with you for a while, and then they move on. So my new comes, and uh, it was thoroughly entertaining. I've definitely enjoyed uh, being behind a booth just for that. You get, get, yeah. it's, it's a place that everybody comes to. So you're going to see mm-hmm. everybody at some point. It's a, yeah. it's a tough convention to pull a, pull away from all the things that you can do outside the venue, yeah. right. To run our booths. Right. Cause we all, we all have, yeah. have that. And, but then, you know, it's also cool. Like I said, cause people, some people come by, it's a busy room. Um, so yeah. And then I had the uh, the most surreal moment of gaming that I've ever had uh, just this last Sunday. Um, buddy, we're, we're on hiatus on the uh, Ravenloft game. And so this other friend is running an MCC game, which was just awesome. I was so excited about that because I love that. And uh, we had to make new characters. So I'm sitting there prior to the game uh, in my kitchen rolling out characters on the MCC I get a phone call on my cell phone. I'm like, well, who's this? It ends up being uh, Jim Wampler. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't want to fanboy on him and be like, I'm playing your game. I'm playing your game. <laughs> but uh, but I wanted to fanboy. <laughs> uh, Can you help me? I just, just got here in the character <laughs> creation. I was wondering about. 
<laughs> so, so that was just kind of cool. We talked for a little bit about uh, the podcast that they're doing, the, the Save for Half podcast. They're doing something on my Dare Luck Club. So he had oh, yeah, some questions yep. for me. And uh, so that was just uh, one of those moments that will just always remain in my memory. It's crazy. That's awesome. So I, well, I want to jump back real quick. So I want to talk yeah. about actual RPG stuff. So I did get to run the, the D&D tournament this year, which was a blast because we did something really different this year. Is all the, I, I have um, four different scenarios all based around Keep of the Borderlands. And each group was able to select which one they wanted to run through, um, which was something unique. I've never done anything like that. Usually it's a one set scenario for all, all the groups. And they all play the same thing. So that was something interesting we did this year. And I was unsure how it would work out, but it worked out great. It also worked out weird because two groups picked the exact same one. Um, you know, so I, I thought I would get more, you know, everyone would play a different one, but they didn't. Um, and the third group picked a different one. Um, was it harder that, to judge like which group was best then? I don't because I don't, I don't judge that way. So I, the good thing about how we do tournaments is that it's all, it's all point-based. So yeah, there's, there's, Every encounter has got a, a range of points you can get, um, depending on how well you do on it. It's very simple. I'm making it sound more complicated than it is. And then it's based on survival, how many characters survive. If you die and you come back in, you can lose points. So everything is purely based on a point schedule. So I don't have to judge like how well they did something. They either did it right or they didn't, or you know they did something different, which they could still get points for. But you know it's it's usually pretty straightforward. You know, it's um, if you ever if you ever go back and read like uh, you look at like the A series modules. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the TSR modules from back in the day are all originally tournaments anyway. But yeah. like A one through four still has all the tournament scoring in it. And you'll see like you know room one. Did they do this? Did they do this? If not, they you know they can go through a room and not get any points, which isn't a loss necessarily. But there's ways you can gain points. So um, that's uh, that's pretty much how we run everything. So I don't want to have to arbitrarily say someone did better than somebody else. It, it makes it, uh, you know, I don't want it, it, it come off as unfair and that's not how we do mm -hmm. it. We also publish these every year so people can actually go back and see, oh, hey, we did this or we didn't do this and, and that kind of thing. So we had a ton of character. Like I said, the first two groups, the first group lost four or five characters and the second Out group of, uh, TPK'd. Uh, how, how big of groups are these? Eight. Oh, wow. Eight players <laughs> uh, the party Yikes. yeah but they can all come back so this year you know we did a thing where um if you die you you can take a 10 point hit on your on your team total but you can go grab a new a new character so we also did random character draws which was fun i'm going to do that from now on so uh we had 16 characters basically up uh, the sheets upside down and you just picked one at a time so now, can was, the group something's uh, within the group can they change characters can be like oh well here i'll trade you the thief for the wizard no or... they can't do anything like that oh, so you're wow. stuck with what you got and you can't change anything on your character sheet so we, we're, we're pretty draconian with our rules um but it, it does people love it and it, i mean they must like something about it other than me because the thing sells out in two minutes <laughs> you know every single slot every year and people are usually you know they come up to the the boardroom that we use to see if someone doesn't show up so they can jump in the game. It's pretty popular because it's a different way of playing D&D. And that's what, that's what we like to say, you know, this isn't, it's just a cool thing about conventions is you can play D&D in a way that you don't play at home with your home group all the time. You just see different ways of playing the game. Yeah. And the tournament's fun. And we use BX rules essentially. 
um, which a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with, but they catch on. It's so fast, right? It, mm-hmm. it also, it's a great tournament version of the game because everything moves quickly. And that's what you want in a tournament. You don't want things to get bogged down. But yeah, it was a, it was a great thing. I think if anyone out there who's listening right now played in it, thank you for attending. It was a, it was a great, it was a great event. I had a lot of fun. I know I think everyone else did too. So. Now, I know it's a anyway. few months out, but uh, will you be running a similar tournament at, uh, at Long, at Long Con? Con? Yeah. So Long Con we're running, uh, not necessarily, we're going to, we're going to, this one, Long Con is going to be a gold grab like we did last year. Okay. Uh, we're doing the second level of the palace. We did, last year we did the first level, Palace of the Vampire Queen. So we're expanding it all and doing that. Next year we're going to do the second level or this, this year I should say. And uh, the Long Con guys are amazing because they bring me all the Dwarven Forge I need. So we can actually just put the entire thing out on the table. This table is five by 20. It takes up like five by 16 of the, oh, of wow. the table just to lay it all out. And then the characters just go in and it's bash down doors, get as much treasure as you can. And it's, it's player, uh, it, it's eight players, but it's not a team event. It's um, <laughs> each player's on his own. A lot like the, the old dungeon board game. but The old dungeon board, exactly like the old dungeon it. board game. So at the end of the tournament, the top three finishers all get prizes based on how much gold they have. And the last place finisher gets a prize. Um, <laughs> and then we had to do a poster, which we had, we had up in the boardroom this year. We had last year's long con poster up in our boardroom this year at the winner's league. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Nice. All right. Well, we do have a, just a, a couple letters in our mailbag. And, and before right. we get into that, listeners, if, uh, if you want to send us a mail, remember that uh, by sending us anything, uh, you get put into our drawing at the end of the program to be part of Geek Credit. And if whoever's doing Geek Credit wins, which uh, I think everybody has so far, except myself, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we will ship you something, some sort of gaming item. Uh, I know I've got a nice collection of things from a lot of small publishers right now. Um, left over from the booth, and so uh, I've, I've got a lot to choose from, a lot of goodies. So um, anyhow, keep that in mind. Just send a message either to our Facebook page, or you can send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com, T-H-I-S-O-L-D-U-N-G-E-O-N at gmail.com. All right. Cool. Edwin, so starting... you want to read the letters? <laughs> yeah, I'll start off here. We've got Larry Hunt writes in... Uh... Uh, about the Rappanathic Marathon episode. Actually, we have two on that episode. Uh, This one, he says, uh, wow, what a chock full episode. Great info on the July Marathon and a great tie on to Rappanathic. Always learn something from the Geek Credit segments as well. Uh, Thank you, Larry, for sending that in. I did want to say that I believe the folks running the marathon, uh, Paladin and his crew have hit a little bit of a roadblock and are going to be running a half marathon uh, starting in <laughs> mid-July. And signups are open now uh, if you want to be a player, be a GM. Uh, but it's going to start July 15, 16, something like that. And it means that you're only uh, only signing up for you know a few four-hour slots over those two-week period as opposed to 24 hours over a month or 36, whatever it was. Um, so anyway, but I think that I still think that's going to be a lot of fun and uh, they're doing it as a full fundraiser. Um, so I'm excited about now, that. I had heard some talk that uh, frog God might put a team together. Did that end up happening yet? Or I have not yet managed to wrangle the frogs. Uh, we've got, <laughs> we've got a few frogs wrangled, but not enough for a team. So I'm still, still trying to make that work out. See if I can get, get us, uh, get us all together at a, same time, same place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but we do have some fun stuff. Uh, we do have some prize support for them. So we'll be giving away some things through them and some other some other fun little bits. Uh, so thank you, Larry. Um, yeah, the geek credit is always something, uh, something new to me too. Do you want me to carry on here with Craig S? Sure, if you want. I'm sure they're I, tired of my voice. So <laughs> I'm happy to. So Craig S writes, wow. What a crazy life choice Paladin made, not to say it was the wrong one, but to go from neuroscience to professional gamer. What about you, architects? What would you give up to do gaming as your main job, or would you? I've often thought about whether I would step away from all this crazy librarian money I'm getting, uh, if I could just make enough to pay rent and get my four squares. But I don't have a family or even a girlfriend to... Uh, I'm glad he puts this in quotes. I don't know about this. I'm just going to carry on. Uh, perhaps there's <laughs> even more to this than the money involved. Uh, you all run game companies, right? So how about it? Would you step away from your day jobs if the companies were pulling in enough? Thanks for putting out the content. I would love an episode covering a top secret adventure, original or SI. I have played them both. CS. That's a good question for us. Lou, what do you think? Uh, so I've been thinking on this one uh, throughout the week here, and uh, I don't know because um, so my day job's in education, and uh, it's not like like I've done like backbreaking work, and it's not that kind of hard, but it's a different kind of hard. And uh, the, but the other side of it is it's very rewarding. Like I don't you know I don't ever question like have I you know done something with my life that affected other people. Whereas if I was professional gamer i don't know that i'd be able to answer yes to that question whether you know you know wow you know somebody had some fun with my adventure does that really mean anything in the big scope of things um so i i think i at this point i would have to say no i would uh i, I plan to just kind of retire doing what i'm doing and keep doing this on the side well what about you if, if you could <laughs> retire and do nothing but gaming would you <laughs> unfair so I'm I'm sort of in that boat, but I'm I'm I am and I'm not. Um, you know, so, so for me, the question would have been like 20 years ago would have be something that I would have thought about. And the answer is, look, logistically, probably not. I've I've been a blessed person. I'm very fortunate. Um, uh, my real life work um, has been able to provide a lot for me and my family. So uh, where there's there's no there's probably no way in hell that. <laughs> game production would be able to compare with anything like that so um but that said i mean it is an interesting question you know i mean i mean like you know lou and i we have, we have families I mean, you have it's different like you're single with no dependence and no real overhead and maybe it's something that you can strive to do you know um and not have any sort of day job i mean i more power to you. I mean, I think that's kind of a dream situation, right? I mean, I can work in gaming and survive, but yeah, um, you know, fortunately, you know, I think many of us aren't in that that same boat. So, um, but uh, so yeah, I mean, but I, I think it's another way to look at it is kind of, you know, I think the way I kind of fell into it is that I am semi-retired. I still kind of consult and go back with my old company, so you know that keeps keeps me going. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, but I can also spend now a lot more time doing this. But um, you know, to run a game company and make it profitable, and not just a hobby business, which I think a lot of us, you know, that's what Paysetter was for a, lot, a long period of time. Um, you know, now it's it's more than that. But 
um, to get there requires, it's not gaming, you know, I mean, I, I hate to say that it's, it's a lot of work as you, you know, you guys know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. You're running a business at the end of the day. And if you don't run it like a business, you're going to, it's not going to, it's not going to work itself out the probably the way yeah. you want it to. So gonna be there long, um, yeah. there's so much more that is involved with that. And the bigger you get, the more people you have to work with and bring in and work with. And that creates a whole other thing. Soon it's a regular job, um, except it's in a, a great environment. I'll grant you that. Okay. Um, <laughs> the environment of gaming is amazing. The people are amazing. Uh, you get to go to game conventions. You know, that's, that's a great thing. It's also can be a lot of work. I mean, I've done the big ones like Gen Con. Uh, I'll tell you right now, you do Gen Con as a normal person, which I did for a very long time is amazing. was amazing. You do Gen Con as a vendor. Not so much. It's, uh, <laughs> it is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a beat down. Um, but, uh, you know, things like North Texas, where you can have a vendor booth and just kind of be there when you be there and not worry about anything is amazing. Right. I mean, yeah. if you walked away from your vendor booth at Gen Con for 10 minutes, you'd come back. There wouldn't be anything left. Okay. <laughs> um, if, you know, Texas, we, I mean, that hall is open pretty much 24 seven and all our stuff is out and exposed. And I, I can tell you right now in, uh, so we've been vending at, North Texas since North Texas two, which was the first time you could vend. So it was awesome. It's Pace Center and Blackblade. We were the vendors. Um, but ever since then, I don't think I've ever had a single thing walk away from my booth in, in 14 years. I mean, we're all, you can't say that at something like Gen Con. You, yeah. But we, the first time we did Gen Con, I, I think we had stuff missing in the first two hours. Um, and <laughs> I needed and to get you some I know snow that shock some people, but it's absolutely true that the theft at that convention is, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You have to build it in. So um, I'm getting off topic, but um, it's, it's a job. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I think if you can do it, more power to you. You know, it's kind of like you tell your kids, you know, when they're young, you know, you're young, you can do, you can do things now that you're not going to be able to do 20 years from now. So yeah. go ahead and do it. Travel right? world kind of thing. Yeah. So that's yeah, I think neat. it's. Yeah. It's sort of, I sort of, I guess I sort of think about it as two different questions. I think, which is sort of Lou, what you were getting at is one, would you give up what you're doing? And the other is, would you want to work gaming full time? And I'm not sure the answers to, to either of those for me is yes. Um, I, I also really enjoy my, my day job. Um, and I'm not ready to give it up, although I'm maybe a little closer than Lou is. Um, and the, and then on the other side, would I want to work in gaming, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week? I don't know, because a lot of it is, as, uh, as Bill was saying, no, it's the same kind of draw of, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, people who are missing or hitting deadlines, you're finding broken computer files, you're, you're doing all the stuff that running a small business is. And it is fun that at the, you know, anytime there's an issue, you, you get to sort of back away a little bit and say, okay, we're really just trying to decide, you know, how long the pointy years on the elf are. It's not that <laughs> big a deal. Um, and certainly for me, coming from an engineering perspective, you know, Lou, you were talking about the idea that you're able to do good, uh, have a, you know, have an effect on people as a teacher. Uh, but on the flip side, for me, the complete lack of risk 
uh, of gaming. You know, if we if we put out a book that has a mistake in it, we'll have some irate fan, if we're lucky, uh, tell us about it. Whereas if I put out an engineering document with, you know, a mistake in it, that, that could be a big deal. <laughs> and, you know, there's lives on the line. Porches collapsing. Yeah. on the line. Um, so there is something nice about about the the less pressure but we still have the pressure you know there's a lot of freelancers that depend on us there's a uh you know and, and if we don't do a good job running the company then there's people who aren't you know getting their suppers because we're not able to buy art and and that's you know that's legit pressure um yeah so i don't know it's a, it is a good it's a tough question and uh i'm not I have never been sort of entrepreneurially driven. And so I don't think I would want to be a full-time company runner. I think I, I like to have this other, I like to have the variety going on. I think that would be a lot, but I'd consider it. Um, so yeah, there's I, some things there to think about, Craig S. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot to think about. And again, it's yeah. it's it's a super per, you know individualistic question, right? I mean, think it's a broad question. I think a ton of gamers would love to love the idea of doing that, right? But you well, know, there's a difference between you know being a full time freelancer, which you still have to run a business, you're still trying to sure. keep stuff going, and running a co company where other people are depending on on you, um, including you yourself. Know, companies, including <laughs> right. your, yeah, so, exactly, exactly. Um, um, you know, I mean, without getting into the whole Watsy OGL thing, I mean, look what that did to the, to the you know, third-party 5e industry. It pretty much, it pretty much destroyed it. I mean, even though we sort of got over the hurdle about it, um, it no scared a lot of people for a lot of months. For a lot of months, I mean, I mean, no one's running. For, yeah, I would say nobody. Most people are not running 5e Kickstarters right now because there's. There's a lot of flux in the world right now. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, you know, I know we're not doing it for all. God's not doing it. And we're doing it. You're doing one of you. Are you launching a new one? Yeah. Yeah. We've got some 5e stuff coming out. We, we do too, but it's been, we held off for how many That's months? That's true. Yeah. We, there was, there was yeah, a freeze we, there. There was definitely, watch yeah. the dust we definitely put a giant pause on it. And yeah, you know, we're kind of hoping things level itself out. So to have a company be dependent on that, right. And then have something like that happen. You know, it, which is right, which I think is true in most businesses and most. Yeah, I mean that, that's that that's part of running a business. Whatever whatever field you're in is yeah. the risks of the marketplace and yeah, um, you know whatever. All right, so yeah, Lawrence Bluff, uh, Lawrence Bluff writes in her messages in some way. Uh, I'm playing a wee bit of catch up, fellas. I just listened to episode 30 about the DCC Rat King adventure, and it got me thinking about dungeon-based adventures. I have two questions for you guys. First, what is the best pre-made dungeon you've ever played or run? And second, I love a good dungeon trap. What's the best dungeon trap you've ever run across? Keep them coming, guys. Thanks for the hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Just a little joke there. All right. Well, thank you, Lawrence. So best pre-made dungeon. Yeah. I like trap. I mean, we are we kind of like so it's two so separate the, questions. Two, one is yeah. the best dungeon and one is the best trap. So for me, I, I'm gonna go in uh B5 Whore on the Hill, the the 
two-level dungeon underneath the monastery has always been a favorite of mine. It's got it's got some neat encounters in it. It's got some uh, some interesting little like uh, hard to map situations where there's this. I think it's uh, either a hexagon or octagonal room that appears twice, and it's made to to work so the players think they're entering the same room even though it's the other one. Um, but that that's always been a favorite of mine. It's really hard to pick one, right? I mean, I think we all have probably have like 10 that could be our number one. Um, as far as pre-made stuff, I'm, I'm going to go with a, a, a huge sentimental favorite of mine, and it is a, A2 Secret of the Slaver Stockade. I think it is, um, I, I know my design brain comes in, but I just, and I love A1, don't get me wrong, the original Slaver's Dungeon, but mm-hmm. A2 is just, I don't know, there's something just brilliant about the whole design of the thing. Um, I love the, you know, the, the stockade level above and the dungeon level below, which has got just some weird stuff going on with this Frankenstein, elf Frankenstein wizard lady. And, uh, you know, she clones or has a clone of herself running around. Um, I don't know. I just think there's some, the guy who, the blind guy who has a ring of fire resistance, who stands in a fire pit and throws flaming hot grease at the player characters. I uh, just, I don't know. There's just something about that whole adventure that I like. A lot of cool new monsters in it, cool new magic items. I mean, you give me all that stuff, and and I'm gonna like it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a two secret or the slaver second. I think it's the best of the four. Um, it's it's just it's a great study in uh, a dungeon style adventure. I think. And trap. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a tough time with best trap. I mean, there's just so many in in the game. I mean. Just about anything you pull out of Tomb of Horrors, I love. So, I don't know that one's. You know, I'll 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 just stick with the the cliche, uh, uh, the sphere of annihilation built into the figurehead in the wall, <laughs> and nobody knows what that. I, I'll I'll take that before somebody else steals it. It's just a, it's just great. <laughs> that is pretty good. Um, I am, I, I, I don't know. I've been having, uh, some years of fun as a player in Stonehell. That game is still going on and I'm still really enjoying the, the different levels and the different interactions and, you know, how playing the different groups off each other and, and how the dungeon is interconnected, how you, how they figured out how you can get into it at different levels of different depths or you can you know there's elevators to help move you around like it's just a really nice system but then i'm also i i feel like it's called the mad elf mine or the something like that and it's a third party dungeon that's um you know maybe two or three levels but I just remember it being, I've run it and a couple of times I've sort of dropped it in some different adventures and <clears throat> it was a really nice setup of, you know, mine tunnels basically. Uh, but then of course it, it connected into some of the, the caverns that they found, you know, it's a pretty traditional, you know, they dug too deep kind of a thing. <laughs> um, but it was just, it was somehow they'd hit just the right level of complexity. You know, it's a small dungeon but it was just big enough to be interesting and scary and have a wide variety of things going on without it being an over, you know, it's not no mega dungeon. You could, you mm. could, you know, go through it probably in a couple sessions. Um, so I think that one's high up on my, on my list. Um, traps. 
uh, I don't know. <laughs> this is my, hard. When someone anyone puts you on the spot for a specific thing in the game, right? Yeah. My no. mind goes blank. It's like, oh my God, there's just too many to remember. Yeah. Right? yeah it's, it's like, like what, what day was of your favorite encounter of any on. module ever written? Uh, yeah, what's your favorite uh, meal you ever eaten? Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one great of my question, favorite but traps. It's also one that, like, it's one of those questions where, like, my mind, I know, I'll, okay, I'm not going to say everybody else. My mind goes blank when I get questions like that. And then, <laughs> like, a day later, it pops right into my head. Oh, now I got it. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the ones I've always enjoyed came from uh, one of the Grimtooth books, and uh, I've used it a couple times. You have the characters going through kind of a tight maze of like, kind of like mesh ironwork walls, you know, kind of like lattice walls made out of iron in a tight little dungeon. And, and they get to the end, there's a, a big steel door. When they break the steel door down, it's actually like a column of water behind it. Like it's the bottom of a tank, a, a giant tank of water. And it floods all that going backwards. And they got to scramble through there to keep from, from drowning. Use all those rules. It's um Nasty little thing, but it's, uh, I thought it was so brilliant when I read it back in the day. <laughs> that was a fun book. I, I, yeah, it's a tough one to, to use most of the time, but there's some fun, it was fun yeah. reading as a kid, especially mm -hmm. the Grimtooth Traps. Of course, uh, right? Yeah. I feel like there's, I'm trying to remember the adventure now, but it has basically the Indiana Jones uh, rolling ball in it but it had some nice ways of getting some clever ways, you know, if, that you could use to get out of the rolling path. And I think the ball actually rematerialized at the head of the trap. You know, this was a bunch of magic in there also. <laughs> and I, I, I have sort of this vague image as a player of really enjoying interacting with that trap over multiple game sessions, because we had to go back and visit it that oh, area nice. a few times in the dungeon it's a pass through and not just a one-time deal I like yeah that. and that was kind of fun it's sort of learning how to use it and and get around in it and i don't but i don't as i said i don't remember the details so that's the best levi i think combs. we're gonna do for you lawrence yeah real, real quick i just a oh, friend of the yeah. show levi combs right i just i was thinking one of his adventures that he wrote uh tomb of the mummy bride has a cool little thing where it's a uh like a stone tunnel a perfect perfect cylinders of stone with these little alcoves all over the the stone and as you start going through it it does the whole you know fun house thing where it starts to rotate and in those little alcoves are all sorts of types of slimes that keep like falling down <laughs> on you repeatedly that's pretty cool that's awesome that's awesome well if that's the last letter i think that brings us to the main event Woohoo! all right now we we got inside our wayback machine here, and uh, we are going back to 1990 to the Champions module, Day of the Destroyer. So I'm going to turn it over to Bill because Bill, I know you're you're the big Champions fan. I, I personally played it a lot back in the day. Had I don't know maybe 60% of the books, but then I kind of fell out of it. So. Uh, so do you, I want to let you kind of introduce it and talk about your memories, if, if you played this originally or not. Uh, we did play it. Um, I actually did not run this one when my friends ran the, the Dr. Destroyer modules. He ran the – there's, there's two – well, let me backtrack further. So this is for Champions, which is the uh, single best superhero role-playing <laughs> game ever created by a large stretch – and I know uh, I'm putting some asterisks on later that. that my views don't necessarily 
corresponding with this old dungeon, but uh, it's true. Um, so uh, it's uh, so. Boy, I don't even know where to start with this one. So, so one thing, and maybe you guys will know. When did the Thanos Marvel comic book series thing happen? I, I was looking at that. And I didn't this Google is it. just slightly did. after that. That was like the very end of the '80s, and then this. So you you can kind of feel a little. We feel activity. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. So the whole concept is Doctor Story wants to destroy ninety percent of the people on the planet to make it a better planet. So. Uh, it's very much in the vein of of that kind of thing. Um, so, but you, to to talk about this, so Doctor Destroyer is Hero Games version, essentially of Doctor Doom, yeah. um, or it's a fairly close version of that. And uh, you know, he's got you know he is the world domination uh, super supervillain, and so he's kind of like the arch villain. Uh, that can have a lot of different things going on. And one of their early adventures was the Island of Dr. Destroyer, where I, I can't remember exactly. He's basically threatening to destroy the world because he wants to take it over or whatever. Um, in one way or one way, or, or he has a device that will help him mind control the whole world. I think I, I should remember, but I can't. It's been a long time. And this, you know, the heroes got to go in and defeat him. And they, uh, you know, they do. This is kind of a sequel uh, adventure. So he's back. But now, instead of, I think, wanting to take over the world, he wants to make it a better place. And to make it a better place, he needs to kill 90% of the population. <laughs> so, um, again, you know, the, the task is you got to stop him. And it's it's fairly standard superhero fare. I mean, you know, there's some outlying uh, scenarios that drag the heroes into it, like, and then kind of figure out what's going on. And you got to go to his base and you essentially got to, fight through a bunch of baddies and, and beat them is, is the general premise. So it's fairly straightforward. Like most superhero adventures are, I don't think there's anything groundbreaking about uh, the design of it. It's also not one of their large adventure supplements. It's actually fairly small compared to most no. hero games, adventure supplements. So, um, but excuse me, it plays well. Um, you gotta be um, stronger heroes. I think, uh, I can't remember what the point range they. I just I do have it here. I should probably look. Two fifty. Am I making two fifty to three fifty? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, um, two fifty to three fifty. Yep, yep. You're you're probably not gonna. It, it's gonna be a struggle for guys anything below three hundred points to. To go through this thing, uh, I know I did scan through it again. Um, probably the so three fifty range on, is on a champion and, skill. That's like like more powerful than Batman, less powerful than Superman kind of. Yeah. Range. So, so the way champions kind of works is when you, when you start your, your champions campaign, you have the players create. Um, so people who don't, don't know champions. Um, when you start, you say, okay, I'm going to run a campaign and we're going to start at 250 points. So that means all the players are going to design characters. That's the point total they have to build their character. So champions is a point build system. It's not a random system. It's all point build. So, um, and that's where the people who freak out over math and say champions is too math heavy. That's where they kind of get in. It's, it's, it look people it's addition and subtraction and maybe a little bit of multiplication and division It is not that hard. Okay. Most of us been doing this our whole lives. So, um, <laughs> get over it. Um, but so 250 is your entry level. So, 
what that does is that also breaks down like maximums and minimums you can have or maximums you can have. So a, a, a 250 point character can generally not put more than 40 points into any specific thing that will translate into an attack. So uh, if, if you put 40 points into your strength, you're like an incredible Hulk kind of character, but you would do uh, a 40 strength character. If you punch somebody does eight D six for every five points, you get one D six. So if you have 40 points into something, you're going to do eight D six of damage. And that could be an energy blast, karate chop, a million different, a gun, a million different things. Um, uh, what are the things point character is going to be roughly 50 points. So 10 D six and a 350 is going to be 60 points, which would be 12 D six. There's all kinds of variants of that. You can do stuff that does like half the amount of damage, but it penetrates defenses. Mm -hmm. There's a million different things in champions to augment your abilities. Champions was one of the first games that I got after D and D. And one of the things that blew my mind is their, their approach to doing like, well, you, you have like killing damage, you have like yes. stunning damage, you have, you know, non-normal attacks and that, you know, can do like damage that can't be blocked by armor and things. Yes. Uh, uh, no normal defense is called. Yeah. yeah. And, and what are the, like body is basically kind of like your hit points. And then is it endurance? That's like the stuff you got to, that. Yeah. Like, like when you so roll dice, most of it hits your endurance and then only the sixes hit your body. Is that how it goes? It's been a while. So, yes. No, no. Well, yes and no. So uh, <laughs> your, your character is going to have it's going to have two stats. You're going to have one strength called body, one one stat called body. That's basically how much killing damage your character can take. OK. And then you have another stat called stun. Most stun. things in champions do stun damage. So, you know, uh, killing attack stuff is kind of frowned upon, you know, even talk about it in the rules. Um, so, um, you have also, you have defenses, like you'll have a force field or you have body armor, or you just have naturally thick, uh, 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 skin, right. Mm -hmm. you, you could take a ton of damage, but like, if you get shot with an energy, if you get shot with a fire blast, for example, let's say it does 10 D six damage. You're going to roll your 10 D six, the total of the damage, that's how much stun you have the, your target's going to take minus his defense. So let's say you roll 30 damage. He's got a 20 point defense force field. He takes 10 stun damage. Uh, but you're also going to add up the body in that attack. So for a, a one, if you roll a one on a dice, it does zero. If I'm trying to remember this right. If you roll a one, it does zero body. Two through five does one body damage. And a six does two points of body damage. If oh, I remember okay. this right. Um, so let's say you do 10 body damage out of your attack. Most characters are going to have enough defense to stop that 10 body uh, from getting through. Uh, the, the, where that changes is it, because the, most attacks are not what's called a killing attack. So when you purchase a killing attacks, do both stun and body, but they do a shit ton of body damage. Um, uh, and it's a different die progression. So for every fifth, let's say I have, I got a knife wielding guy, I've stabbed you. Um, uh, let's say I spend my, my 60 points on my, my knife attack. So that in the killing attack, it only gives me four D six, but, uh, it's 15 points per every die of damage. So I would have a 46 killing attack. Well, most standard characters are only going to have in that eight to 12 defense for body at the most. So four D six body attack, you know, you could do a lot of body. You could literally, if you're a crit, so you roll 22 damage, you could literally kill somebody with that with one shot. 
Um, it also does a ton of stun damage. There's a multiplier. You roll your 4d6, then you roll another d6 minus one, and you multiply that times your body. That's how much stun damage it does. It's very variable, but it's uh, it's it's very lethal and it can do a lot of damage. So, so pulling it back to uh, Day of the Destroyer, <laughs> I did have a question based on based on no based on all of no, this. Saving us, it comes uh, out preserver here. As I was reading this, uh, there was a lot of talk about dead superheroes that yeah. were sort of happening around the world. And then there was also a fair amount of talk about superheroes dying, the, the, the player characters, you know, uh, of the of the people in the game. And I, you know, I think I've played, I don't know, one or two sessions in my life of superhero games. It's sort of not my not my jam generally, but I was it feels like superhero death and even supervillain death both are so far out of genre that I was really surprised to see that as a focus of this adventure. Like that there yes. are, mm-hmm. you know, there's news reports. Is that, is this sort of an anomaly in this adventure? It is. So yeah, it's, an anomaly for, it's an anomaly for champions. It's kind of what I was getting at. Like killing attacks are really frowned upon for like player characters to have an example of this would be the Marvel universe be the Punisher, right? The Punisher just wants to kill. I mean, he kills people. Nobody else, pretty much, in Marvel comics, you know, Captain America throws his shield at people. Even Iron Man blasts people. He doesn't necessarily kill them, right? Just stuns, quote unquote, stuns them. So um, most player characters in Champions do not have killing attacks. And villains, you'll see a little more of it, but it's still fairly uncommon. Um, It's definitely not a game about killing characters. So. To have a scenario where you see more of that is definitely abnormal for champions. It's not a game based on, it was so rare to have a player character actually die in champions. It literally would be almost a loophole of some crazy consequence out of care. A player character actually died. It's, it's difficult. It, I don't want to say it's impossible to die. It's not. Yeah, I, I really it's very, felt like very difficult. kind of going back to what you were saying, I felt like this was, was kind of there here's this epic end adventure. Here's this, you know, the world in chaos, you know, these are, this is a a campaign changing adventure, uh, which is why I feel like maybe they were bringing in, you know, this idea of these other known heroes dying and and all that. Yeah. 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 Cause like most attacks in, in champions, even things that you consider like getting hit by a missile, you would say, Oh my God, it's a killing attack. And champions is generally not, it's, it's going to be mostly a stun attack. It's not, it's not going to be defined as a ranged killing attack or a I mean, that's that's the attack. I mean, that's the genre, right? I mean, yeah. superheroes, yes. supervillains don't die. I mean, they go to prison or they get captured yeah. or they whatever. They get knocked out for seventeen years or you know who knows what happens. But correct. But just because you can't make money on dead characters, nobody ever dies. <laughs> <laughs> it's and again, it's like it's very rare for for characters to have a killing attack. I mean, I'm, I'm looking, sure. I'm pulling the, like even Dr. Destroyer here. Um, he, he has a bunch of different attacks. I mean, he does have a ranged killing attack, but that's, he has a, what's called a multi-power. So he's got a suit that does a bunch of stuff, but he's got like five other attacks. One, two, three, four, five, six that are not killing attacks. Um, which most characters don't even have a killing attack, but since he's the big bad, I think the only reason he has that is so they can justify that, that he has killed non-player characters that don't necessarily mm-hmm. appear in the game. 
because right. it is hard to kill people. It, you, you generally can't kill them by hitting them with energy blasts. You could hit them a hundred times when they're down. You're still not going to kill them. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's the, the thing, works. right? Because as I recall, the, the stun damage takes you out long before you die. So you don't even have Absolutely. the option to keep fighting or whatever. It's like, Oh no, you're 100%. Right, you're and yeah. Out and, uh, 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 yeah. A thousand percent. And in, yeah. in the game is, I, I mean, honestly, it, it's very well balanced. And that's why I say it's, it's very difficult to kill someone. I mean, like I said, yeah. even a, a four D six killing attack, which is like, beat up, that's the big bad. I mean, that's about as nasty as could possibly get in the game. That will not kill most characters unless you hit them two or three times with it. Um, and look, most of the time, if you get hit by one, everyone's going to gang pile that guy who did that, right? So it's so just how the, the adventure. Works. Yeah, it's just just how the adventure works. So <laughs> no, 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 the um, adventure, not the rule system, no. the adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know, but unless you know the rule system, I think it's hard. No, to, I know, I know. It, it I know. is. I mean, see, it's the first time we've talked about it. And in what, what's yeah. weird is back. And I don't know if this was a local thing or not, but back in the day, like D and D, Shadowrun, Star Wars, and Champions, those are the only systems like I I'd seen on racks forever and ever and ever until yeah. you know late late eighties. So I feel like everybody used to play Champions, or at least most people I talked to in the role playing hobby had played it. But nowadays, I I don't really hear anyone talking about it or playing it or, or whatever, uh, just within my little circles. I don't know if I hear a whole lot of people playing superhero games in general. I mean, I know it's out there, but yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, hero the hero system is still being produced today. It's still out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how big it is. I'm not part of it, so I, I don't know. So, so I think it's justified to kind of give a, a little yeah. background on what the mechanics are yeah. like for the game. So, but um, And I will say this. The one thing, I, I mean, I had a ton of stuff for this system, and I sold yeah. it all many years ago. The one thing I regret is they had... Uh, they had all these like enemies books, like yes. high tech enemies, uh, enemies unlimited, blah blah blah. Um, and they, you know, it was their own IP, it was their own characters that they had created. But there were, it was a little uneven. But there were some really, really good concepts in those books. And this, looking at this module, kind of reminded me of that as they were mentioning some of those villains. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about him or her or whoever. Um, One of the things that was interesting to me as I read this, and I, I'm sure this is the first champions module i've read um i think uh but one of the things that was interesting was that was that world of enemies and friends of superheroes and supervillains and that they were all unique and i could imagine that you know somewhere they and they cited some of the sources but they had published mm -hmm. stat blocks for all of these people and that the they just players, name drop right yeah, that the players would have sort of gotten familiar with a lot of these. And it was sort of a fun, you know, sort of like going to a little gossip session or, a, you know, a little cheers bar or whatever, where where you just sort of, I could feel this community of, of made up people, but that the all of the players that were playing in the 90s would have sort of had in common their knowledge of all of this sort of world, uh, as opposed to the, you know, in D&D, &D, everybody knows what, uh, be a holder is but it's you know there's they're not a unique creature so it's sort mm -hmm. of you know it's a little different you know like maybe you know Vecna fills that role kind of in the fantasy world or something you know there's a few of those people but here that's really all there is I mean there's the agents I guess there are some generic yeah. bad guys but they're they're obviously not meant to be taken seriously <laughs> um, just, that, that was a pretty neat yeah. that was sort of a neat thing to be thinking about in terms of world building 
for a rule set for a system. That was kind of cool. Yeah, the, the yeah the, the agents are generally speed bumps to just. Um, yeah. The game is also you know Champions is a what's it, what's called a resource game, right? Your your characters, uh, you kind of beat them down till they get to the big fight at the end. But um, so you you are right about that one. Like like uh, enemies won, which was their first uh, supplement for the game, which list which is basically just tons of super villains in it. I mean, Hero Games they created their whole campaign world, which was very sandboxy. But everybody knew who these villains. Everyone had fought these, like, you know, people Bat, playing in Fox, Detroit, Bat, playing champions, <laughs> fought the same villains that people in Saskatchewan fought. Right? It was everyone knew who these guys were. It's like a, a common thing. So um, they did they did very well with that. Uh, the 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 IP within the game, I think, is very well regarded. I mean, they created an entire super world, uh, superhero world with all that. The characters they created and some of them better than others obviously but and some of them like you know let, just survived through many iterations of the game um which is actually pretty cool um in which you know is the twist kind of in this dr destroyer thing right too is dr destroyer is not necessarily who you think he is kind of um, yeah, we'll have to talk about that weird flex at the end there. That was, yeah, I yeah. hadn't remembered that. And then when I read it, I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> this is kind of a stream of this, this very, what well, this whole adventure kind of comes off is, um, <laughs> I want to say it's fairly standard for a lot of their adventures to kind of be almost a, written in a stream of thought process. So um, they put a lot of stuff out in a relatively short amount of time. And sometimes you can tell. Um, yeah. but, uh, uh, and, and this was one of them, this one kind of popped up in the middle of nowhere. It's not, again, it doesn't, it, it's not as fine tuned, I would say, as a lot of their products. I, what I found interesting, I mean, the, the, the scenario opens with this, you know, threat being announced on TV by Dr. Destroyer saying that, oh, you know, the world has, what was it? 72 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then you know the players like okay well you got to track him down you don't know where he's from and and it gives you like some ideas of things they might do and, and some areas they might get clues from and what i found weird is like some of those were just so bare bones it's like hey maybe in south america these three guys might be you know causing some trouble and they might have some some knowledge about things and it's like they don't they don't like tell you like where what the you know they don't set up anything about that that struggle or contest or what have you and then later on, there's like the the events in New York where you fight against some of the baddies, and and then that's like really well, like okay, hey, here's the the layout of the area, kind of, and yeah. th these are the people involved, and these are their actions they're going to take. Um, it was just this such a felt dichotomy. Hard to run. Like this felt like you would need to do some serious prep. Oh yeah. Uh, if you wanted to run this well, or be just really good at making this stuff up on the fly. Yeah. Um. It definitely falls into, they have a couple of scenarios that are like this, even that it falls into a, an adventure that is more of a, you buy it and figure out how to kind of strip it down a little bit and piece it together within your own campaign. Um, like you said, there's some detailed encounters and then there's some stuff that's just incredibly vague. And um, yeah. it's like, you know, what do I, what do I do? Where do I go from here? Um, like I said, I, it, this really comes off as one of their, a very not as well put together product is a lot of their, um, adventure modules. 
But I, I mean, I'm glad we picked it though because it does have some really unique, um, unique facets to it. You know, it, it's different enough. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they got that clue section, just kind of walking the, the listeners through the layout of the module. Uh, there's certain things, like one of the things, uh, and it's maybe a little too heavy-handed, but they if they go to investigate satellite imagery, um, there's satellites that have been mysteriously attacked by a Dr. Destroyer and knocked out, and they cover just this area of the, the ocean, but it's still a pretty big area. But, you know, it kind of lets them know, okay, that's, that's where we're looking. Um, one of the cool ones that I liked is the... Uh, the sister of a reporter that went missing, one of the last people to t talk with Dr. Destroyer, uh, she's in a psych ward, and it's kind of weird that, you know, he calls her, they kind of tell you, oh, well, he tried to call his parents, and he tried to call his wife or whatever, I can't remember who all he was trying to call, and none of them picked up, so he calls his sister in a psych ward and tells her what's going on when he gets a chance. Uh, that, that was this a missing trippy reporter. encounter, too. That's one of the more detailed... Yeah. yeah. Well, I really liked it. I thought and, it, it, yeah. so. You go and you visit her, and and I, I guess it's you know only if your characters uh you know have this ability it would be cool. But uh, if they do like a any sort of mental you know powers on her, they get taken into her crazy little world where she's in this cabin and and, and there's this bear that attacks and uh, real Freudian stuff, I'm sure. But um, but then if they uh, if they call if they pick up the phone and and talk on the phone it's her brother it's it's weird but i thought it was kind of cool that you could go into this whole mental realm to try to pick up this clue where this reporter disappeared to i um, like that as a as a pretty big um tempo change yeah you know i feel like the difference between that scene and a lot of the you know basically punch out the bad guy scenes uh, I, I liked that change of tone and tempo. Uh, if if the you know if the heroes encountered that, that'd be that would be kind of memorable. I would think. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was kind of writing notes on things. Uh, one of the things that I thought there's there's a point at which the uh, the taped interview with the reporter gets released, and I thought that would be something cool to do if you were a game master of this, is to to sit down and make that recording even you know just even an audio recording and just play it for the characters you know the players that is uh, but uh so you got those clues and then there's this big upheaval of uh of a bunch of the enemies all across the world all these super villains are all going r running riot because they've been promised things by the destroyer because uh, he's got this doomsday device that's going to kill you know like bill was saying 90 percent of the people um you know in, in 72 hours uh, and so these guys have been promised to to be spared if they just go and create a distraction so more more beating down the guys <laughs> um trying to think am i missing anything here uh oh and then there's that leads them to getting some false information about a submarine that's taking plutonium that you're yeah. led to believe is part of this doomsday device but it's really a, a death trap yeah, it's a big what do you guys trap. think of that yeah it was fun how many um it definitely felt like a, a comic book like you, you know just mm -hmm. it was real uh high action and the villain is you know over the top manipulative and and uh self-absorbed like there was just it was totally leaned into mm -hmm. all of the stuff yeah very silver age which is like my favorite like you know that really four yeah. color you know i i would agree 100 percent um 
it, like I said, is is kind of um, unpolished as this thing is in places. It it does convey that champions feel, I think, really, really well. Um, it's got a, a nice variety of encounters. It's got, you know, uh, the newscasts were fun. Like yeah. There's a bunch of little newscasts yeah. and re- like a lot of that kind of yeah. stuff, which you could, you could, they do that a lot. That's a common trope. And a lot I of, I figured the, that was a thing. Like, some of them, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They do that a lot. Some of, of them looked like you would actually not want to, like they almost were only for the GM because the actual yeah, thing would be different. Much. You know, this was sort of like, this is the flavor of what the reporters yeah. are going to say after your heroes have had this encounter. <laughs> and I yeah. thought that was kind of, you know, substitute your, your people in here, but it was nice to have those just as, yeah, a bit of flavor and, and fun reading. Just, it was nice as a, yeah. You know, they put a lot of art. I mean, we can get around to that yeah. too. I mean, yeah. they, they do put a lot of art in all their um, adventures. This one's not, um, this one follows that trend and it's, it's nice to have that again, as, as I think as a superhero game as an adventure module, cause it, it helps you buy into this thing, right. As a GM and make you feel like you're a part of it and, and, and kind of brings it to life a little bit more than just, you know, a lot of, a lot of text. And, um, you know, they, they are one thing I will say about hero. They were never afraid not, about that. They knew it was a visual RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, well, their covers on like everything, you know, from fourth edition on, uh, or third edition on really uh, are just gorgeous. I mean, like they got yeah. George Perez to do the fourth edition cover. They've got yeah. like uh, uh, Storm uh, Cook, and and one of the disappointments I've always had is like a lot of their adventures. The cover just like conveys the story, and you're looking at it and go, oh man, that would be awesome to play. But then the adventure itself doesn't follow what the cover shows. Uh, this one's not more than kind of an exception yeah. to that. But... Yeah. Um. That's some some interesting little. Uh, I don't know what you mean, little hurdles in some of the encounters. Like I, I like in the one it talks about, you know, instead of uh, having just your normal hostage, make someone that the, the characters are familiar with but dislike be the hostage. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a, oh, yeah, well, that's kind that of throw a wrench in. And the one guy that's got the private um, armored security force and talking about how, like, they would get in the player's way, uh, you know, and I thought that was yeah. clever that – and then it gets you to use some of these lesser used uh, skills and stuff like this tactical skill to try to command those guys and get them to do what you want them to do. So, uh, so after the death trap, <laughs> if the players survive <laughs> that, <laughs> sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how we get, you know, tie this yeah, up yeah, here. Yeah. So that after the death trap, the, the players kind of can, there's a decent amount of ways that they can figure out where the actual Island is if they haven't yes. already. And then it's just, you know, how do you want to confront him? And, uh, you know, it's it's well armed, well uh, well patrolled island. Uh, it's you know they've they've come up with ideas for oh if you tunnel underground, there's these destroids that are energy beings that can move through the ground, and if you if you fly over, there's all this radar, and if you you know, uh, it's no easy way. <laughs> right. And then eventually they were like, oh maybe we should make one easy way. So they came up with <laughs> yeah. one one easy way that no one will ever find Death star exhaust yeah yeah they don't tell you how to find it but there it is somewhere there <laughs> yeah there's this there's two uh two ventilation ports that aren't being used that aren't guarded yeah but so um i i don't want to talk it all up you guys can jump in if you want to take over i just i you know i yeah figure we just need to to get get the full view of what it is and we can talk about the uh, the surprise ending there so. Um, 
Go ahead, Lou. I mean, you you were you were on a roll with it. Um, I, I I mean, I just, I'm just gonna get to this old dungeon part with it anyway. So okay, all right, finishing it up then. Uh, so they get to the island. Uh, there's a lot of different little compounds on the island. Um, there's a couple minor supervillains there that really I feel needed introduced earlier, but we'll talk about that later. You get down to the the sub level finally, and you you fight. Uh, uh, Doctor Destroyer on, live on TV. Uh, he's got the camera set up for it apparently, and uh, it's it's one of those things where like he tells you that if you kill him, you can stop the device. But apparently that's just a lie. It's set to go off no matter what. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I guess that's fair game for a villain, right? It's uh, kind of trope. It kind of follows the the whole theme of this thing, though, right? I mean, the sub whole submarine deception thing. Like yeah. they think they're going to grab his power source, but he already has it. He doesn't need it anyway, and and that kind of thing so yeah. what i did like like it seems like there would be enough because basically you have to there's a couple things you can destroy to take down the doomsday device and some of the things are in the room with dr destroyer and i feel like in a really good superhero fight you know if you're going up against the big bad stuff's gonna get damaged there's gonna be yeah. some collateral so i feel like as the as the gm there would be some nice ways you know when when that when anybody somebody does some massive destructive thing you know you'd start having the ai start giving weird messages or you'd start having the transmitter start doing some weird something something or the backup power starts to go on the fritz like i feel like there's there's a lot of cool ways to alert the players that they have been duped yeah um Yeah, so then uh, bringing it to the end, if if you defeat, uh, the, or actually it's before you defeat him, right? He he gives this away before you defeat him. He he unmasks himself. Yep. And it's not Doctor Destroyer. <laughs> it's nope. the reporter that he captured at the beginning of the story to record his his uh, plot yeah. here, his monologue. I have to admit, I think I I liked it. I thought it was <laughs> I liked that a lot. It was different. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily, but <laughs> um, it does in a way. But it also it's I, don't know, I thought it was fine. I mean, it was it was For me. It was surprised. the next twist that was a little weird. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and didn't quite make sense to me. Um, well, it, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't. But because because I think we learned that this reporter saw Dr. Destroyer to his grave. Uh, and then we yeah, learned... they just one day while he's he's a captive and doing you know slave labor for him, Doctor Destroyer just kicks the bucket on him, and right, he's yeah. just donned his armor, right, not knowing that the armor has a uh, like it's almost like self destruct sort of thing where it's giving off radiation, poisoning whoever wears it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah. He, so he puts him in the grave. <laughs> And then we go into the grave at the end and there's nobody there. And this has all been a dream. It's all been a big setup by the real Dr. Destroyer. Yeah. Which that part didn't quite work for me because no, I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I understand the concept, right? You don't want to kill anyone. You want to keep your villains alive. Maybe they'd already planned out the third adventure of Dr. Destroyer. But um, so I think I would probably uh, yeah. stop with the, Dr. Destroyer 2, because I feel like that gives you the option of Dr. Destroyer 3 coming along at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, That's all kind of part of my this old dungeon part is, um, which doesn't actually have a lot to do with the the playing of the adventure, right? So it's it's a sticking point when you read it, but it doesn't have really anything to do with anything while you're playing. Right, it's just, I think it's 
yeah. just about the satisfaction you feel as a player yeah. after you've done. Right. Which is kind of a big deal. Like, <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. Is this, I mean, it's a cataclysmic adventure and all you've defeated is a, a mild mannered reporter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's um, <laughs> It's a uh, when I say it's a short adventure, I mean I mean in in page, page count yeah. size, but it's a it's a large adventure in scope. There's a yeah. lot going on. It's going to take you a lot of play sessions to get from the beginning to the end. Um, it, it just it, is. And that's so, my thing. I mean, I don't, I I don't mind payoff. that it's the reporter, but I don't feel like there's enough along the way to make it a genuine payoff. Like, you know, how does this guy know how to run all this stuff? How does, you know, there's just, to me, it would be more interesting if at the end you, you break through some, you know, highly barricaded room to find this guy that's kind of having a, a mental breakdown because he doesn't know what to do. He, he put on the armor and people think he's Dr. Destroyer, but he's not. And he, he doesn't, you know, you know, maybe he's turned the computer AI. Maybe he's turned everything over to it, and it's the one that's running the the doomsday device and and, and planning the the whole thing. I don't know, but but I feel like there's just something a little disingenuous when it's you know it seems so much like it's this major villain with all these resources right up to the bitter end, and then it's just some dude that took his jacket. You know. Well, it so, didn't seem. Um, I mean, although I thought it seemed fun, it didn't actually make it much more interesting and it didn't as you were saying bill doesn't make it at all different like there's absolutely nothing through the entire play that you don't look back and go aha that's why this that makes sense now it's because he's the reporter like there's there's absolutely no reason it doesn't matter in any way that i could see whether it's the reporter or the actual dr destroyer or somebody else Uh, it would be fun i do like the idea of the ai uh especially now I feel like that would play well now because right now we have a pretty like that's on our minds. Yeah. Of AI's gone gone wild. <laughs> um and I think that that could be a fun uh a fun twist on this. I felt like those two sub villains, the Stormwatch and uh Gigaton. Yeah. Uh, as far as I remember, they're not they're not part of the I guess you could say legacy villains of, of champions. No, I, they're no, just, they're, 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 unique, they're unique. As far as I know, they're unique to this adventure. So, so, I mean, I would either replace them with ones that the characters are going to look forward to facing down or build their backstory up while they're doing the research at the beginning. You know, have this rumor about this MX missile site that got broken into or, yeah. or you know, the rumors that there's a, an assassin out there trying to collect a, a league of uh followers to train or whatever yeah i I think that was part of it's it's part of my like how i would do things a little different in this is i would definitely pull some of those unique legacy villains out of out of the you know the 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 legacy villains i I guess i want to say and have them interspersed more through the adventure uh that dr destroyer recruited them saying hey once when i destroy the world you're going to actually be on my you're going to be around you know so you should join me in this endeavor uh, kind of thing, uh, give them a rationale for behaving that way and and just pull pull in a little bit more of um, commonality to the adventure and tie it a little tighter all from the beginning to the end. But in the same vein, I want to put new stuff in too because fighting new villains is always fun because you never mm-hmm. know what they're going to do. Um, it, that's a big part of the game. Is you, you don't exactly know when you come across a new villain what his powers are and what's going to happen as the fight goes on. It's, it's a big part of the game uh, in that, 
you know, uh, as opposed to a lot of other role-playing games, you know, fighters attacking with swords and stuff like that. You know, this game, everything is totally unique and you can go, uh, you know, character creation, you can get wildly different. You know, Lou, you know, you, you play, oh, yeah. you can come up with just all kinds of your, you're, you're literally only limited by your imagination, how you can craft your character and what that character can do. So it is fun to intersperse any new villains with some of the old ones, but I, I like the idea of bringing some of those classic, uh, legacy hero games villains in here uh just to make it also feel give this adventure a little bit of feel of familiarity and then then sock the players with the left hook of something coming out of nowhere that you know you know you sucker them in with oh this is just the same old thing and then hit them with the you've never seen this before uh aspect of it and you know Especially the submarine battle, I think that could have been fun, and and maybe even you know Doctor Destroyer uh, uh, using some of those villains as pawns, uh, not caring you know if they win or lose, you know, kind of bait in the trap kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, because again, no one expects characters to die in Champions. Really, it's it's not that much of a thing, and we're in this version of Doctor Destroyer, and again you can use that the reporter guy who is now Dr. Destroyer. He's, you know, maybe under the control of an AI that the original Dr. Destroyer used to still control whoever's in the suit. You know, his mind could be being messed with and that's why things are more lethal and he's not afraid to kill people all the time and, and do that kind of thing where that's that's a good term. That'd be cool. Yeah. I had a, I had a rules question speaking of all these villains. Yeah. Um, so it's obvious to me that the villains like the heroes are sort of limited by their point count and yes. that they're, you know, they're what they can have. And then you got the disadvantage to sort of balance those out. That gives you some more points you can spend. And it looked like for most of these, there was, this is my question, this completely arbitrary villain bonus, which yeah. is basically we couldn't make the math work. And so we <laughs> created this disadvantage called villain bonus. Is that what that is? Or is it actually somehow, is there some rationale behind that like 463 or 289 i think, that, like random I think that's so, basically uh experience for the it's villains, experience point. so so in in champions edwin so let's say you start at 300 point characters right you when you build your character you have to have enough disadvantages to build that right, you can have 400 points if you have 100 points of disad yeah. Right. Well, well and there's whatever. limits, kinda, but yeah, it's what, what, yeah, but it, it champions. I think you start. What do you start with? 150 points base. I, I think I, again, it's you start it's with been base, like 15 years since I owned it. So right yeah. to build your character. Let's say you're building 250 point characters. So if you're building 250, you get 150 points base. The next 100 points to get your 250, you have to have enough disadvantages to balance that out to get right. to your 250. So when you get villains that are more than 300. 350 points, you start running out of disadvantages. Your disadvantages would be 10 miles long if you're a 500 point character. So, right. but you get experience points as you adventure. So that's just that, that's just the villains' experience points that they gained being a villain from when they started to where they're at. That, that's right. So it's just a made up but, number. But you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a made up number. It's a made up number because yeah. this yeah. is what we want the character to look like. And here's how we make the math work. Correct. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's the, like I said, uh, Characters they might start at three fifty, but you know, ten sessions they're at like three seventy or three seventy five. Something right, you don't right, get a ton right. of points by the way. You get like usually one to three per game session. It's, yeah, it's not right. a ton. 
Yeah, so Giga um, yeah, Time think... with his 463 villain bonus has <laughs> right. been around a long time. He's been around a long time, or it's just a, uh, a unless you read his origin story. We need to make a Galactus kind of character or whatever. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. yeah. That's okay, no, that's what I figured. I just, yeah, like, and, is, and I can't funny... remember, but I, I know that it seems to me that there were powers that said it can like negate X amount of points worth of this or that. And I think that's why they always break stuff down like that. So you know instantly if you have one of those powers, oh, I can affect that or I can't yeah. affect that. Or, yeah. So they, you got to kind of have the background of, of how it was built to know how to affect it with your powers. Yeah. And those are anomaly characters too. I mean, you don't see a lot of that in champions. Most things are pretty evenly balanced. Most of the time the heroes are fighting villains right around the same point, point range. Yeah. You know, here they were did, all, most of the named individuals had a pretty high villain or villainess bonus. It seemed like. Yeah. Well, again, that's, because these are these are some big bads. I mean, these are these yeah. Are whole... They're 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 fighting multiple heroes. So yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What what did you guys think of the doomsday device? I, I was thoroughly disappointed with it. I didn't like it. I didn't like it, it at all. That was basically, funny. like genetically, we all have this gene that if if the right transmission is broadcast, it kills us, makes us uh, our bodies reject itself or whatever. Uh, I was uh, torn on it because I like the. It, like it started by you know pointing out that Doctor Destroyer was going to kill people arbitrarily. Like there was no, he wasn't judging any. It was just yeah. I just need nine out of ten, and it turns out that there's this gene that ten percent of the people have that will allow them to survive this this doomsday mm -hmm. device. And to me, like I was like, there's no way there's this gene that ten percent of the people have <laughs> that doesn't also affect some just, other part yeah. of their yeah that equates <laughs> right. to something. And right. so I was, I was, I was excited about it in the sense that there was this idea of a, of a, of a. It was interesting to me that Doctor Destroyer didn't care which ninety percent he destroyed. I thought that was mm. kind of nice, but, uh, but then it didn't work. So then I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah, just because you, you defeat Doctor Destroyer, but anyone that finds that frequency now is a megalomaniac, right? I mean, right, yeah. it, it, you don't even have to do anything. You, you know, uh, a very low-grade villain's a major problem now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I kind of felt like you know he needed some other setup. Like maybe he dispersed some sort of uh, you know like gene-altering virus or something out into the population or something. I don't know, but. To me, it had to have something else or something that would wear off. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, or some like I could imagine, uh, you know, that everybody had uh, gotten some nanoparticles, and uh, nine out of ten of them, uh, you know, of would, mm -hmm. would placebo be, or whatever it is. Or, or the, exactly. You know, yeah. One exactly. out of ten, 10 would be, be fake. And, yeah. yeah, and the others would get turned on, and and once. You know, again, like you said, once some time had passed, um, they're no longer valid. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it'd be yeah. cool to, to try to do something where there was no doomsday device, where maybe like he, he disperses some sort of, you know, antigen out evenly throughout the globe and people are just killing each other to try to get it when really there's oh, nothing coming. You know, there's fun. no. Yeah. So they think they're all right. So the, but, yeah, they think they want. I gotta be the ten. Island protection, and so those people have come to him. But he could also promise people out in the world protection, but yeah. only give enough uh, Wonder Woman bracelets or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. for for ten percent of the population. You create a fake apocalypse, essentially. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah. We, I mean, we did a similar thing with our Red Queen series where, uh, but time travels involved where um, this, the, a villain from the far future actually went way back in time and, and changed it, essentially changed the genetic code of almost everyone on earth way back in time that in the future, they would just, at a certain, certain time point, this thing's going to kick in and everyone dies. Um, and the Red Queen thing is you got to go back in time and find what that is and then bring an antidote to the future. You got to find And, and this is the one that has like Boot Hill and Gamma yeah, World and yeah. all that meshed into yeah, the Yeah, so she's like the, the time traveling android goes through different times and there's adventures based in D&D time. And she's trying to find sample humans that carry this code that, the, that don't carry it so they can extract serum from them. And she's got to extract them from different time periods um, in order not to fuck up the whole time uh, continuum. So she can only take so many people from each time zone. So that's why, yeah. So you play up, there's a scenario in D&D times, scenario in Boot Hill times, scenario in Top Secret, and then a scenario in Gamma World. And then you leap to her future. But that's kind of how we handled that as we did a time travel to make that genetic code thing work where people just start dying instead of arbitrarily sending a radio frequency out. It's just bizarre and just, yeah. was, you think that mistakenly that would have fucking happened at some point. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the idea of the fake apocalypse too. I, I think that's actually pretty, that's a pretty clever idea. Um, and I was, yeah, I was also, cause I don't, you know, as a non superhero person, I was thinking about how I might take this storyline and translate it into trying to decide whether it wanted to be sort of a, a call of Cthulhu, you know, 1920s uh, adventure or, or maybe 1980s adventure. I don't know. <laughs> um, or, you know, the fantasy part seemed pretty, that seemed like an easy transport to just make it magic and mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but the, uh, but making it some kind of a, you know, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff there. I think almost all the story uh, you could do with sort of some uh, some a good head cultist and yeah. you know on an island somewhere uh, and and some some good exploration early on. You know, somebody basically says, "I'm going to bring this deity in, and they're going to take out 90% of you, and I'm going to finish the ritual in 72 hours." And boy, isn't that going to be fun! <laughs> um, but it's for the good of everyone. Yeah. And, you know, so it seemed I, like there was some neat, neat ways to take this, this storyline into some other worlds that I was, I was enjoying thinking about. This, this would be a, I think it would be fun to transport right to the 1920s, 30s, a cult sort of time frame game too. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. I think you could have a lot of fun. If you, just enough tech where you can make like a radio worldwide radio broadcast a thing. Yeah. Up, right. But, and uh, you bring in and you bring in some mafioso to to you know rumble things up and you, sure, you get a yeah, lot of but, stuff with you know, that. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you kill all the people on the planet with 1920s tech, right? You or sort of you'd have to get really creative with it and you could have a lot of fun with it, I think. Or just um, magic. So anyway. Oh, oh hey, there's a question I had. I I could not make any sense out of why they had and I my computer just shut down, but um the uh the Sign. artist that did the the north pacific indian art what was the deal with that why did they even need that in there i, I didn't quite get that i don't know just to tip you off oh, that oh, it was the, sitting the, in, the, the totem, in the totem pole the totem pole stuff I, yeah 
I'm going to guess that that's somehow Scott Benny either was learning about or knows about (laughs) or has some cultural tie. Like, I feel like that seems like the sort of thing of like, Ooh, I just learned about, and I really care about, and I want to bring this into, you know, that's what it felt (laughs) like to me. It was like, this is just sort of happens to be what's going on in my brain and I'm going to stick it in the adventure, but yeah, yeah, it it seems to be the same thing. It's just dropped in because they thought it was cool. Uh, all right any any other thoughts that we need to cover here i don't think so i i think we kind of covered it quite a bit all right well that's the <laughs> um, day of the destroyer i want to it is for the end of the day of the story but i want to go back because i i let it slide um one of our letters i would love to do top secret like an original version one of the modules there are some great modules in there that i think we could have a lot of fun with um let's to, do it yeah i think that's a <laughs> Something we've never we have never done top secret, right? No, we have not. I think it'd be fun. Cool. All right. Yeah. Why don't you you want to pick one and we'll? uh... Um, I will. Let me think on it, and I'll I'll pick one the next day or so, and I'll we'll uh, shoot it. But let's do let's do first edition top secret. It's a blast of a game, and they did they did the five or six modules for it, and most of them are pretty good. And there's a couple of like really good ones in there. I think we could have a lot of fun with because that's a a game smart. We we can um we could talk about like putting it into Call of Cthulhu or putting it into some other game system um, yep. that would absolutely work. So I think that would be a lot of fun. Cool. So are you ready to put Lou on the hot seat? I think so. All right. I guess we're ready for, for some geek credit. Hey, hey you, do you have any geek credit? Let's start Makes with sense. Edwin. <laughs> all right so he's I, going to uh, google i can see it <laughs> yeah i uh i picked up so lou said he was up for a bunch of things including some victorian literature and i uh honed in on that uh, i did uh, i decided to keep it to england uh, okay so i you know i i did i did enjoy thinking about some of the other the other stuff uh but let me start with uh since we're talking about heroes uh, I will ask you which of the following authors won a Nobel Prize for Literature. So we have A, Charles Dickens, B, Rudyard Kipling, C, Thomas Hardy, and D, William Thackeray. Ooh, wow, that, that, there's a couple on them that uh, I could go either way on. I'm going to say Kipling. You are correct. Nice. So Thomas Hardy was nominated twice, 10 years <laughs> apart. Didn't win. But Two times later. Yep. You ready, Bill? You want me to keep going here? Uh, no, I'll go. I'll go with one. So I'm going to I'm gonna stick with TSR stuff, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, uh, Holmes edition D&D because uh, I, was, I did a lot of work on it in the last few months and found out <laughs> a lot of did. stuff I didn't. Found out a lot of stuff I didn't know. Fresh so, brain pan. Um, but I'll start with it. I'll start with an easy one because I knew Edwin was going to come out of the boat hard. Um, <laughs> the the uh, the first retail version of Dungeons and Dragons, as we know, was uh, designed. Uh, the rule book was written and designed by uh, Doctor uh, John Eric Holmes. Okay. Uh, the cover of the rule book and the cover of the box set were drawn by uh, uh, our artist, and it was. Uh, I'll give you three options here. It was Sutherland. Sullivan or Rossloff? Oh, Rossloff. No, That's my guess. Rossloff? No. Sutherland, really? Yes. 
and oh, be like, wow. "Hey, believe you're asking these hard questions. That's so unfair. <laughs> what is going on here?" Huh, Sutherland? Really? I'm gonna have to get it out. Rossloff did a lot of work the... with the BX set. Yeah, but er- Otis he, did the cover. It has that kind of like, like a two, layered 2D effect kind of look to it. So, and Rossloff, yeah. a lot of his stuff has that, where it's like this image was drawn and stuck on top of this image, which was drawn and stuck on top of that one. Not that it's a bad deal, but it's just that's the style I'm used to from here. Yeah. Huh. Very good. All right, so we're one and one and headed oh. back into the Victorian era so that Lou can have some easy questions. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it has been said that all but one of George Eliot's novels require a Greek typeface in order to be correctly printed in full. You know, they all have some Greek in them. Yeah. Which one of the following does not have any Greek in it? A, Middlemarch. B, Adam Bede. C, The Mill on the Floss. And D, Silas Marner. Hmm. Want to go with Silas? So Silas does not have much, but it's actually the mill on the floss. Mill on the floss. Uh, and the it was funny, the, the descriptions were like, well, you know, this is uh, just a bunch of English country folk hanging out in the rural country, and they don't need any damn Greek to talk about. <laughs> uh, most of the others, though, are really just a word or three. So it's not actually, uh, but I think as, as, uh, as she explores uh, various philosophical concepts of love and so forth they, she puts in some some greek words to help the audience really understand yeah you know think better in greek right exactly uh so uh bill bring it on all right so we're gonna go back to the home set um, on the ropes here guys i gotta get the next two right here that's right i know so the the original box set came with uh the the homes rule book it came with uh it's called the monster and treasure assortment Levels one through three in a dungeon geomorphs. Um, and uh, that I think went through two or three printings. Um, and at some point, uh, and I'm not gonna pound on whose decision this was, but they decided to pull the treasure assortment and geomorphs out of the box set because they were in a lawsuit with Dave Arneson, who was only getting a percentage based on the rule book instead of the entire box set. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, uh, in order to basically screw Arneson out of royalties, they put a module in, uh, the home set, uh, was that module B1 in search of the unknown or B2, uh, keep on the borderlands. The, and I'm talking, this would be like the fourth print. So yeah. this would be the first module they put in that box set. So there's a clue. <laughs> I mean, I- Wow. See, I thought B1 came with the mold vase set, so I'm going to say B2. Damn it. No. No. So B1, (laughs) they put B1 in by my car, um, and that ran a few printings, and then they put in B2 by Gary because royalties again. So, uh, yes. That's why because I two wound up going in uh, the second for the BX version of the game. Okay, for some reason I I swear that my my uh, B one 
came with my my mold bay bx uh if it did set. you have the only set in existence no, that came that it, way it, it well it you came in second hand anyhow so you probably have a unless you bought it yeah i mean you could have bought it somewhere and for someone frankenstein did that way but no yeah. that b2 came in all the versions of the bx version um b1 was holmes all right b1 was holmes and it was written by mike carr and it, it went in the i think the fourth and fifth printing and then i think gary's B2 popped up in the last printing or two. Um, the chit set, right? I yeah. think had the I think had the Borderlands set in it. I, I'm a little fuzzy on. But yeah, no, it was B1. This all had to do with uh it was a better idea, to be honest with you, B1 in there, but it had to do with uh a lawsuit against Dave Arneson at the time. Um they didn't want to pay. So um you know, I'm gonna give I'm you a chance get, to win. I'm, I'm gonna not gonna get a chance to win. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm gonna save my last question for a third one we'll get lou a bonus question uh, (laughs) oh because i I was gonna say because i've got i've got a question that has a a potential extra credit with it so if you get it right you can get the extra credit and then you can still win so 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 essentially so does mine so go ahead all right so of the six bronte children how many lived past the age of 30 none two four or all six man just just to stipulate, like when I was thinking Victorian literature, I, I'm thinking, you know, Verne's and, and uh, you know, Doyle and... and uh, well, you could you know. have been specific. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. I, you know, I, I have read some of these other, you know, more philosophical, meaningful books. I just Doyle and Verne um, next time. I, I love those guys. So that's like, awesome. Bronte seemed like, uh, seemed like there was a lot of tragedy in her life by how she wrote, but then that makes me want to take a hard left on that. Uh, so I'm going to say they all lived past 30. So uh, two of them made it past 30. Oh. Um, so there's uh, so Maria and Elizabeth died early, 10 and 11. I think the sisters we know are Charlotte, Emily, and Anne. Yeah. And uh, Charlotte lived to be 38, and she was the oldest of the six Bronte children at her Oh wow! At her death. I'm with yeah, you. So was, I would have got around. I would have went. I would have went suckered right into the zero. I did no <laughs> on this one. All right. Well, it's on so to you, Bill. You know what's great though is that we forgot to roll to see who uh, wins or loses. Who's not this. winning? Exactly. Uh, so nobody's so. not winning. Who's <laughs> not winning? All right. So so here we go. Um, true, true or false? Um, since we were talking about royalties and that kind of thing. So the original D&D set, right, was the, the wood grain box. They did three printings of it um, with the little digest books. Um, they probably sold, you know, two or 3,000 copies. I think all, I, I should know this number. I don't. All together in the course of two or three years, right? Sold them at conventions and mm-hmm. newsletters and mail order and that kind of thing, right? And then out comes the Holmes box set, which is the first retail release of Dungeons & Dragons. So this goes out to hobby stores it goes into bookstores it goes to jc penny and sears everyone carries that for a number of years uh and they sold you know this is kind of basic so they sold up you know a few thousand copies a month in general and then the crazy shit happened in lansing michigan with that dallas egbert kid uh and you know a little later and then it, that box that bounced about thirty thousand copies a month after that so they sold several hundred thousand copies of the homes box set in it's in its tenure right so uh true or false john eric holmes received uh royalties for 
producing his rule set or he did not. So the, the true or false part is, did he? Yes or no? Uh, he did not. No. He received zero pennies <laughs> for the Holmes box set. He was never paid a dime from TSR Hobbies, which is astounding Yeah, if you think about that for a minute. Um, it's just, and they were arguing with Arneson over 5%, by the way. That was the <laughs> amount. It's just uh, crazy to have learned this back. And I learned most of this by talking to, I'll say Chris Holmes, who we had on this program. Um, absolutely just fascinating stuff, which is honestly all kind of gut journey at the same time. Yeah. So Lou, I guess it's up to you. It sounded like you had something you were going to send along and it's, it sounds like you maybe didn't win the quiz. So I don't know if for losing, you should send something to one of our listeners <laughs> yeah. or for winning, you should send something to one of our listeners, or if you want to not send something to one, but I've got a D6 yeah, here ready to roll. I, I, I can't, you know, I feel feel bad about them them missing out because uh, because I couldn't get things right so uh, so yeah let's uh we had three people right we had uh, the two Larrys and uh, Craig right yeah yeah so, okay so I'm gonna roll here one two three four and five six I think it was it was hot and that and is then Craig two. and then Lawrence so I think it was that was Larry H. Craig first right Wait, it was I'm sorry. Larry, Larry H was the first uh, oh, letter. Oh, right? oh, oh you were doing one two for okay I thought you were one, doing sorry, one okay. two three four five six I get yeah. you all right, so yeah, so Larry uh, Hot, um, I gotta look and see what I have that you don't. But um, <laughs> if if you do not have, I'm I'm real hot on this uh, the the one year in the Savage Afterworld by uh, Tim Snyder. Uh, I had two copies of it left from the con. I, I took one from my personal library. Uh, the other one's still nice and in plastic. I might send you that if you're interested because it it's a phenomenal little like series of vignettes for a full year of gaming if you're doing any sort of post-apocalyptic or bx style game hey uh, uh Lou, so if you can't if you if it doesn't work out let me know i have some stuff down here with me in florida i can no, i can okay. send something off to you. i've got i've got well i've got other things too but that's the one that i i'm okay. just like amazed okay. that uh that that product uh, it's been out there for so long and I've, I've never heard of it until just recently so if he wants it he's got that if not i've got some other selections or i'll contact you so uh, I think that's wrapping us up here. Uh, it's uh, been another usual two-hour episode of this old dungeon. Uh, we might be coming back to you next time with a little top secret again. If, if you've got the endurance, after the credits roll here, there will be a quick conversation between me and Stefan Surratt uh, about his Kickstarter, uh, the Technomancer of Candy Mountain, uh, coming nice. up here just after the credits. So have, uh, have a wonderful couple weeks of gaming until we talk to you next. Bye, awesome. everyone. Good gaming, y'all. You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! All right, Dungeoneers, you might be asking yourself, what's this? What's going on? Why has he interrupted our program? Well, we're trying something new. It may catch on, it may not. 
But uh, we're going to give you a little vignette where uh, I get to talk with some of my creator friends and see what they've got going down because I, I really love the field of independent publishing and all the wacky cool stuff that's coming out. And I want to make sure that you're aware of it. Uh, and besides that, it gives me a chance to talk to these fellas. So uh, without further ado, I've got Stefan Surratt here, and he's got a uh, Kickstarter that still has a couple weeks left on it. It's something that I've already jumped in on, something I'm real excited about because it's got uh, some MCC uh, potential in it. So uh, and without further ado, uh, Stefan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, Lou. It's uh, good to chat with you again. Well, thank you. It's uh, You know, I, I think it's been a few months. I'm trying to remember when we did the, the Lost Caverns. Was that It's maybe January yeah, or something? Think, I, I, yeah, I was... February, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was about it's a while ago, but uh, months ago at least. Yeah, and, and we'll have to have you on for a regular episode and and, and pick apart something else because uh, that was quite a bit of fun. But uh, we, we've got some business to attend to right now. Yeah. You've got a Kickstarter going on. It's already halfway through. Looks like it's been doing really well. Um, yeah. What do you got? Yeah, so uh, Kickstarter is called the the Technomancer at Candy Mountain, and yeah, it's a it's a mutant crawl classics thing. Um, there's also, I mean, there's other stuff. I, I'm trying to do that thing where I I do you multiple releases. package deal going on. Yeah. yeah, the package deal. Uh, you know, at least I I try to when I when I've got a couple things you know ready to to go out the door. Uh, but yeah, so the 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 titular thing. It's a big adventure. I tried to do, uh, you know, you you do your big MCC adventures with the whole region that kind of all, folk, you know, it's a little sandboxy, sure, uh-huh. but it, it's focused in, in that uh, all those sandbox elements kind of point you towards uh, a single direction, and uh, and that's, you know, the sandbox is Candy Mountain, and the direction it points you to is to this kind of shanty town, you know, that's all, you know, company owned company run <laughs> by sold by sold in a company store yeah <laughs> exactly that's exactly what i'm going for and yeah and, it, and it's a candy factory in mutant crawl classics so uh you know the the little people up there they uh they gotta you know they gotta well it's not it's not a nine to five the work hours are longer and the breaks are terrible <laughs> and uh and there's hr is just go get brainwashed again uh during your medical checkup uh the conditions are horrible um but that's what makes it it fun and uh and yeah there's some inspiration from uh you know uh well willy wonka charlie and the chocolate factory there's like uh adventure time inspiration to the candy kingdom from there i, I, I was kind of picking up the uh, player character class oh yeah yeah I, um when i was looking at the the materials there on the kickstarter i was almost picking up a uh kind of like a wizard of oz sort of feel and maybe there's, that was the the map no, there's definitely there. a bit of that too um uh, that map that you have is just amazing man i it's you know uh is it the same guy that did the the primrose one uh this map is by mark moreau um he's a french artist and uh, i just saw him posting some work that he did on discord and i reached out to him because i i still needed a map for this i hadn't hadn't commissioned that yet and i thought his style would just be perfect for that kind of candy mountain and he did an amazing job with it yeah, wow. it, it is fantastic, and in the cover too. I love how you've got the the mm-hmm. fun, bright colors in the foreground with the little candy characters, and then you've got that like Gotham City dark pollution <laughs> uh, choking yeah. out uh, factory in the background. That's a yeah, great. Ed cover. Bigford did that. He's, he's oh, worked with like <laughs> you know Levi from Planet X Games. He did, he did like all, I think all the yeah. factory covers and a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, he yeah. He's I, I love his use of colors. That's surprising. I normally can pick out his stuff pretty well, but I guess I just didn't have my thinking cap on. But yeah, now that you mention it, the yeah, 
the well, colors it's, it's are more cartoony a... because you know it's got like candy people mm -hmm. and, uh, and some legally distinct versions <laughs> of popular characters <laughs> on the front so yeah it's a little more cartoony than i think he normally does but and it's a level three adventure and it's like I ran it's there's a two hour version of that on the Kickstarter page that folks can watch. But that's like a, it's a, really an, a play. Like a very, uh, what do you call that? Yeah, a live play, play kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. that I, I ran on the Goodman Games Twitch channel. But yeah, there's a two hour version there. Um, but it's it's like an adventure that should be run in multiple sessions. Mm -hmm. You can because you talk about you got like the campaign setting there around yeah. the, the main event. Yeah. So obviously you can you can focus it in and go okay, let's get y'all to that candy factory <laughs> right now. Um, you can do that if you need a one shot for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 more fun if you take your time and let it breathe. Yeah. Um, um, so that that's on that's on screen one. What do we got showing mm -hmm. on screen two? Yeah, screen two is uh, Marvels of the Multiverse. I, I yes. did you know that's my multiverse MCC zine continuation. Um, and it and like the others, it's just kind of got a bunch of stuff in there to kind of help fill in gaps or, or whatever that you might have in your Meet and Crawl Classics game. So uh, I, I kind of pulled the Benisons and Dooms from DCC Lankmar, where it'll like give you a little extra backstory and say, oh, and you know, you're you're hunted by the you know vile brotherhood because you've got this very unique genetic bloodline thing that they are very interested in but you're also you know you you rolled the the good thing as well so you get a plus one die or something like that on on any ai recognition check so uh, a Excellent. little bit of character class customization that'll work for everyone there's there's a couple in there that are like pure strain human only or no no pure strain humans but for fifth edition dnd that was a a, a big uh, boon that people were talking about is how that that yeah, background, background generation really pushes people into the, the role play aspect. So yeah, that, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I think folks will like that. I also put in mutation duel rules because DCC has the spell duels, but yeah. I was just flipping through my MCC book and I was like, hey, this isn't even in here. So <laughs> I, uh, I took those and I, I simplified them a little bit more um, just because those, those rules, they're a little bit clunky, but uh -huh. I, I tried to make them simpler. Um, I got another character class, you know, sweet characters <laughs> over in the Technomancer thing. Over in this, I got the Jungle Juice Drinker, uh, which is basically uh, in 10,000 years from now, there's going to be some dope uh, who is out there in the jungles and he's going to, you know, find a broken cryogenic tube with a dead guy in it and he's gonna go i'm gonna drink that juice uh <laughs> and he's gonna get so he's a pure strain human but he's gonna basically be able to concoct some some potions out of whatever the heck he finds huh. um and kind of maybe is it, it, it's a very much like work with the judge um off of a deed die similar mechanic but it can be a way to go i want to get for just a little bit that mutation that that monster i killed had or I want to, you know, I made a, a robot chip salsa and, uh, and drank that. And, uh, you know, I, for a little bit, I, you know, I got lasers or something. So what, whatever you can That's kind awesome. of, uh, come up with there. Far flung alchemist kind of, yeah, I love it. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting then, on the, on the power duel thing. Um, the second module I released for MCC, the, uh, time lost Citadel, there's a point in it where you're in this arena fighting these these uh, Martians that have spell powers, and I kind of put in there 
a real light like oh hey you could kind of use mutant powers on the spell dual chart by doing this this mm -hmm. and this but i always wanted to kind of flesh that out so i mean i i'm really looking forward to getting the uh yeah. getting that issue and, and ha having a system there that, that's a, a brilliant step to take good for a second i thought you were going to tell me i did that already <laughs> copying my work <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I, I i i got right to the precipice and then took a step back so so i'm glad somebody went over the edge that's awesome good um and the the last thing i got in there i got a, a funnel adventure in there called the millennials awaken um and uh it's called that because uh the characters they're not on terra ad when they start they are um, like genetic clones that have been experimented on and, and deliberately exposed to cosmic radiation on this <laughs> thousand year voyage just to see what the heck will happen in some crazy experiment. And wouldn't you know, they uh, they mutate in just the same ways that uh, people down on Terra AD did. Or if you want, you know, it, it could be a heck of a star crawl funnel as well. Oh, yeah. uh, so you, you could you could mix up the, the backgrounds if you want. But uh, they're supposed to be on their return trip to Earth. Uh, Earth has changed a little bit in their absence. Uh, they get attacked by a space squid. They crash land on the uh, like the broken moon, the yeah, sky arc the that's above the world. disc of the moon, yeah. And they basically have to. Um, they start out with with if they make a luck check, they get a bubble helmet. Uh, if they don't make a luck check, they got nothing. There's very little atmosphere. <laughs> it's a funnel, the, baby. <laughs> and they have uh, the in game, the in like world, but also like the written down time limit of hey, this is a funnel to run in two hours, and in two hours your oxygen runs out. So get get your butt down to Earth, go hop across some bits of the this you know broken moon, and get over to that space elevator over there and get down to Earth. <laughs> That's sweet, man. Um, it, was that one that, cause I know you did uh candy mountain there at North Texas. Did you mm -hmm. also run that one as well? I didn't run that at North Texas. I run it a bunch online cause okay. it's, uh, you know, and it's, been. it's a two hour funnel. So I, I, you know, candy mountains like 10,000 words and the, the two hour funnel is like 2000 words, so a little <laughs> bit more than that. So, you know, I tried to make it really short, uh, to read and short to play just so that, you know, a judge wouldn't be burdened with, with too much words for something that, you know, and won't take that much time running. And, and I wanted to make that two hour funnel so that, uh, you know, you can have that to run at a game shop and you don't have to spend your whole afternoon there. You can introduce some folks in a, in a much more manageable chunk of time. Yeah, it's a great way to introduce people into the game so that, you know, they're not they're not making a big commitment. And then once you get them on the hook, you come back the next week with a full set, you know, full 32 page module or whatever. Yeah, so, that's awesome. And I got some I got some cool T-shirts that I've come up with and some some fun patches, too. So there's uh there's some some other cool goodies in there. And uh, the, the first stretch there's stretch goals for like more stuff. But uh, the first one is uh, actually a, like a wizard school DCC genre hack that I'm calling Academia Arcana. And uh, if we hit that first stretch goal, which, which we will, we're, we're pretty we're getting pretty close to it at, at time of recording. Um, it'll it'll be a PDF. All, all the backers will get. Um, no one else will get it quite yet, but folks, I guess, will eventually. And it's like beta testing rules, essentially. It's pretty polished. It's got some nice stock art that I had on hand already. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a, a wizard school hacks. So there's a new class and and, a, and some good rules in there and a uh, a sample adventure as well. So hopefully, all folks will give me some good feedback on that. I'll polish it up. I got like four or five other adventures outlined, and uh, I don't know, pro probably in about a year or, or so. But I'd like to, uh, yeah, that that'll be my 
my kind of big project or biggest one at least. Yeah. And, and that's, that's DCC compatible or, or mm -hmm. in that line. Anyhow, yep. uh, that's awesome. I, I know we were talking about that at North Texas a bit um, with, with your plans for that. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really cool to be able to get a sneak peek on that and to kind of, you know, I know a lot of people like to, to be a part of the evolution of something cool like that, where they've, they've seen it at its, uh, you know, beta step or what have you and, and, and are able to say, oh yeah, you know, I remember when this rule was like that and then they fixed it like this, yeah. you know, that's cool. That's yeah. Awesome. Uh, Stephen Newton was, uh, we, I, he was on uh, rules as written on the, the, that Goodman games Twitch show I do. And he was telling uh, me and my, my other host, Matt, about some old mutant crawl classics rules that he remembers being different from back when they were doing the, the play testing <laughs> for that. And it was like, Oh, this is a weird bit of history here. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know, I, were you inspired to do that by someone else? Cause I don't know if I've ever seen a, a Kickstarter where as part of the, the stretch goals, you, you get a little insight to something coming up um, like that. I, I, no, I, I don't, there's no one that I've seen deliberately do that where it's like a completely, you know, it's a very unrelated product. I haven't seen anyone else doing it, but I, I thought it would be a good avenue because, you know, if you just put it up on drive through RPG, who knows it, but at this, it's a good way to let people know about it. And if you're here for mutant crawl classics, you, Probably yeah. like Dungeon Crawl Classics too. Mm, a lot of crossover. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, so you're going to, I know the folks who are getting it this way are going to be interested. So they're way more likely to give me, you know, the kind of feedback I want to help polish it and make it better. Um, well, well as, as the MCC guy, my, my suggestion is forget about the fantasy stuff. Oh. Make this kind of like a play on the, like the young mutants, like the, you know, the, the X-Men, uh, you know, Academy <laughs> there. Put it back into MCC. No, I'm just... Well, Brendan LaSalle, he did like a mutant high school little zine. So he, he kind of got that covered. Ah. But I, I do have a little bit of crossover in there. You know, there's some like NPCs you can use for adventures. And one of them, um, he's a he's actually a mutant. Uh, he's got, you know, th this is some magic wizard school that's in its own kind of like pocket plane and, you know, demi plane, nice. that kind of thing. And uh, And he had some horrible thing happen and got, you know, interplanar shenanigans and uh now he's <laughs> pretending to be a wizard uh but all he has is the the gas generation power <laughs> that's that's always a favorite whenever uh, i'm running mcc when somebody gets that one <laughs> yeah it is um oh, man so like, like myself i've got the complete collection of the multiverse uh yeah. zines right now but for those that haven't gotten in, you know, back when it was, you know, merchants or whatever, those are available as add-ons, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the whole, everything I've done, uh, shipping's going to be a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> dude, yeah, you can, everything I've put out, you can go get it that way. It, it's all add-ons. Very cool. Well, folks, uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, the, the, the sand is about out of the hourglass. You, you maybe have a week or so to, to go jump on this. Um, like yep, Stefan I, was saying, I mean, I think he's like, a little over four hundred dollars away from hitting the stretch goal, where you get the uh, the uh, Academia Arcana. Did I say it right? Yep. All right. Uh, where you get that included, and there's a lot of cool little add-ons uh, beyond that. I mean, uh, there's like another six, I think, five or six. Yeah, uh, and and that's all bonuses for you know. Hey, let's get some you know page of candy equipment, and let's get some like weird candy weather effects, <laughs> uh, some stuff like that. So uh, we'll we'll see. You know, if we only hit one, uh, there'll be a really cool end sheet for the the print run. It's uh, <laughs> all the candy equipment. But if we hit all of them, you know, that'll probably be another four pages we add to uh, a you know the adventure's 32 pages already 
Uh, so we'll we'll see what we get. Uh, you know, it's got about 10k words for the adventure, about you know, uh, three pages for the the candy people, and uh, and a whole lot of really cool art that I've commissioned, and, and I'm looking forward to getting soon. Yeah, it's one one thing's for sure. I mean, you know, having looked through all your stuff, uh, you you don't skimp when it comes to art. You don't skimp when it comes to writing and, and adding in. Uh, little flares that, that that take a reader's mind in different directions as far as things they could do with the material. Um, I, you know, I I know I've said it before on other Kickstarters, folks, <laughs> but but you, this is going to be your money's worth. This is going to be, uh, you know, if you are an MCC player or a DCC player, uh, this will be, you know, a, a must-have kind of thing. So so jump on that Kickstarter again. The Technomancer of Candy Mountain, and uh, as the B feature, B side, you get Mer uh, oh, I almost said the wrong thing. <laughs> Marvels <laughs> of the Multiverse, uh, a zine about uh, MCC uh, material there. So uh, any last thoughts? Anything else? Uh, no, that that'll do it. I believe I launched that on the the thirteenth, and I believe it's running until July fourth. So uh, so get in while the getting's good. Nice. And uh, do you have any cons you're going to be at anytime soon? Uh, I'll be doing Lone Star Game Expo in Grapevine, Texas. Um, that is in September, I believe. So that, that's the next one up for me. Uh, I'll, I'll be there and running some games and, uh, and running a booth also with uh, my, uh, my co-host from Rules is Written. He'll be there as well. Sweet. All right, folks. Uh, this has been a little insert here. I'm not sure what we're going to call this, but uh, uh Thank you for joining us, and now we'll return you to the regular program.